All right, welcome to the uh, patron episode for March 2019 of the Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And uh, that was an ominous song to start off with. We don't often play uh, Motley (laughs) Crue. That was a bastard from Shout at the Devil. Um, Because what we sort of decided to do for the third patron show was to sort of just talk about this weird new trend that's kind of happening within, if you want to call it the metal scene or the, the hard rock metal, Music extreme metal yeah. scene. Yeah, I mean, it reaches back to Bohemian Rhapsody even a little bit, um, which is this biopic kind of movement that's going on. So we yeah. thought that, uh, <laughs> everybody has their hot takes uh, for you know the dirt and for Lords of Chaos that's been going around the last few months. Um, we decided that we would kind of do just a kind of a hot take. Yeah, we haven't really talked much to each other about these either. So no, we kind of purposely sort of save it all up. For, yeah, exactly. For you guys. But um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know. In a way, it's almost like a sign that we've like kind of arrived in our generation that we're starting to see biopics about this kind of stuff. True. You know, I don't think I ever would have assumed as a kid, even like a young kid, that there would be a Motley Crue movie when I grew up or especially a mayhem movie i mean the mayhem yeah. stuff is so ridiculous that you can see where they so sensationalized that it makes more sense yeah yeah, yeah. You, you know it's it's sort of the frameworks there but i guess you know one of the things as like our generation is getting older we're kind of taking over the means of creativity and like artistic development and like we're like the decision makers now you know people yeah. that are our age are a little bit older than us and when you're 30 years out from something, it makes more historical sense. You know, you've got a history there. It's not just a, a series yeah. of events. And we're not fighting like the baby boomers nostalgia anymore. Yeah. Now now it's like Gen X nostalgia, you know, which is yeah. like us, you know, and, and Gen X kind of came up and with... And 2000s nostalgia. It's like... Yeah, it's that's awesome. Everywhere. That's also pretty weird. Well, they talk about with social media that it's created sort of an echo chamber of like instantaneous nostalgia with Snapchat and like yeah. all that kind of stuff that like... Even the way like Facebook's like algorithms work, where like it reminds you like every year, every two years. Um, oh, hey, here your dad died. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> luckily, luckily, I don't post too much tragic shit on. Uh, it's mostly uh, incidental things or whatever. I think what? Yeah, mine's usually just stupid shit. The one year anniversary thing that popped up uh, yesterday or the day before was a picture of you and me and Chris and Albert from uh, last year's beer fest. Oh, okay. So taking a photo when we first arrived. I've there. been. So. pretty backseat on facebook lately so sure. I really which is a good place to be you know it's um, better for me it does it doesn't i've made a conscious decision when i look at stuff and i just start scrolling and my mind just kind of yeah it's like i need to turn it off yep check your check your messages then get off yep no that's smart that's smart i mean if it weren't for the countdown and like using that but even that one like i'm just you're scroll- so busy though like we have totally different schedules yeah I could literally sit there for 45 minutes and, and just scroll, through, scroll through shit. I can waste time with the best of them, but I also like have like limits to that too because I just have like deadlines and things that I, yeah. I have to kind of jump right into. But um, yeah, one of the things in scrolling through, especially the the Jason and Mark Facebook page and like, you know, um, the metal Twitter kind of world and um, not so much metal Instagram because that's its own kind of like different thing. You know, it's a yeah. you know, different medium. I don't use it as much as I want to for the podcast. Um, cause it's more time consuming to like, have to like, think about, well, I can't just like, I can like screenshot like the episode title, which yeah. sometimes I do, but that's not super like visually appealing. You know, I guess I could go out and like find like the album covers to like whatever records that we're talking about in that episode, which for like something like we just posted, like Afalamia, 
less daunting when it was like the <laughs> the uh you know countdown yeah. most important proto metal years like i mean how many album covers am i gonna go you know it suddenly becomes like a task so i just kind of kept it simple yeah. you know but yeah so you know in our last episode we um you know the previous episodes we've kind of just done some hot takes we talked about metallica a little bit and got mm-hmm. some good feedback from that um uh, it's kind of fun because it's sort of it, it more i think captures the sort of natural conversations of like when you and i kind of just get together and just bullshit about stuff that yeah, we've been it's watching less structured we don't have notes and, normally when we have conversations yeah exactly so i'm just kind of going off the cuff from like what i remember i've only seen lords of chaos once so when we eventually i watched it twice that, but did you yeah. okay i, I meant to watch it, it the second time I, you um, could download it you could rent it for six bucks or buy it for 11 I, oh okay. i just bought it yeah so. i i rented it um on voodoo um voodoo on Roku or whatever. Okay. And because I signed up, I was a new member of Voodoo. I got one ninety nine cent uh first movie. So I got what a deal. <laughs> ninety nine cents for Lord's. <laughs> Couldn't of throw you five bucks or yeah, anything. Exactly. But we're gonna we decided obviously in starting with Bastard, which is uh um one of one of my favorite Motley Crue songs from that era. And I guess we could start first with like maybe where our thoughts are with like Motley Crue as like a band and whether or not you know the dirt because you have a different a different perspective on Motley Crue than I think I do at this you point. Have, in our you have life. a longer history with Motley Crue than I do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I, they were more impactful for me. But I guess go ahead with like where your thoughts are because you, you on know, them as a band. Yeah, just and then we can kind of diverge into the into dirt into a dirt. little bit. And did dirt do anything to change opinions oh, or you know things like <laughs> that? But we we'll get there down the road. And, uh, well, Motley Crue for me has never been a huge. I never really knew. I knew him peripherally. You'd see like, you know, VH1 behind the musics or whatever. And I just never really cared about the band. And they were always like ridiculed and, you know, shit on by bands I liked. Yeah. So, so I was, it wasn't really a thing. And plus, like, I would get picked on by a guy that loved, like, would wear Motley Crue shirts. And I was like, fuck this guy. And bullshit. that's always been like the issue with like, um, you know, it's, it's where I kind of had to leave behind some of my childhood memories of like um my perception of like say a van halen fan because van mm-hmm. halen fans were probably the guys that like were like beating up people like me on it's, some part, level. it's party music yeah they were like yeah. kind of like frat guy kind of party stuff um and so i've kind of had to reevaluate like where i'm at with like a band like van halen and doing that proto metal countdown to kind of like help me kind of come to terms with some of that and appreciate the songwriting for what it is and yeah. whatever but i think van halen's um, mo- a band much more uh, musically based than like oh. Motley Crue is all style over substance. It was a lot of a lot of style over substance indeed, and and it worked on a kid and like me, and, yeah. you know, because I you know I was talking to somebody about this. I had like a little gathering on Saturday night, and I was uh, talking to a guy I coach cross country with. His wife um, is a big hair metal person and stuff, and so I asked her if she had watched The Dirt yet, and she was like, "No, I've read the book, but like." it pisses me off that there's parts of the dirt movie that aren't like the book and blah, blah. blah. And we just sort of kind of got in a side conversation. And I said, I think what really appealed to me about Motley Crue when I was like such a young age, um, cause I first encountered Motley Crue. Hmm. I remember having like glimpses of them on MTV cause you didn't grow up with MTV, which is probably why you didn't get into Motley Crue as much. I would imagine. Because yeah, Motley like Crue was years like, older too, so there's it was a different era. Like Friends had it, but yeah, but um, I almost think like it's Taylor. Like they were a band um, almost primarily tailor made for for MTV. Like much like Van Halen with like what Van Halen did with like videos. Yeah, if you look at like like when I was hot for would go over to a friend's like house, it'd be like Girls, Girls, Girls was on or something. Yeah, but and I, I mean, just I didn't do anything. It it was so outside of my level of 
like knowing anything about that type of culture, nor I didn't care about, I didn't want to just party. Yeah. Like I was more interested in more, I think, I guess things that aren't quite as like base and. Sure. And I, but I don't think I even actually had a concept of partying. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when I encounter Motley Crue in third grade, like what the hell does partying even mean? Yeah. It's not a birthday party. Like I don't, (laughs) it seemed like the coolest thing. Fucking strippers. Yeah. It seemed like the coolest idea in the world, but it was, (laughs) you know, I equated Motley Crue and, and some of that stuff with like, the, at the exact same time that like I got into like say wrestling and it was like very WWF. Like there was like a lot definitely of definitely similar bedfellows. A yeah. lot of that kind of stuff, like in terms of just like the over the top imagery, the sort of like villainous kind of stuff, the There's like, no subtlety to their music. Yeah, there's there's yeah. nothing subtle about them. The costumeness of it, because mm-hmm. there was this sort of, you know, that and, and I even equated it almost like that these guys seem like um and this is gonna probably be a dagger in your heart, but Kind of like comic book type characters, almost. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're they like were, like what Kiss was doing, or you know, yeah. just a different level of it. What New York Dolls were doing, and so I guess maybe what Kiss was to like the generation that was like above you and me um, in the seventies, like maybe that's what like Motley Crue was kind of like for for like people like right in my like sweet that's fair. age group. And they're know? definitely more eighties oh excess than Kiss ever was. So <clears throat> yeah, it makes sure. a lot of sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so Motley Crue was like a big formative thing for me because I, I remember a couple things first off like i've already told the story before that like you know bon jovi led to poison and then from poison probably like white snake you know because i think that was right around the time that white snake was starting to dominate mtv in like 87 yeah. or whatever um i had i had previously heard i think like uh theater of pain stuff i think i had seen like the video for smoke in the boys room and probably um uh, home sweet home mm-hmm. um and then i think retroactively i think i caught like looks at kill and uh, the one that really like kind of stood out to me and i believe it's the live wire video but i remember the image and maybe it was just because they did like a highlight reel of all of their band's images up to that point home mm-hmm. sweet home is like a bunch of flashbacks and stuff it's like a nostalgia piece yeah it was it was nikki six on fire and okay. that was such like a comic book kind of thing, right? That was like yeah. WWF, like all of it. And like him standing there, like with his bass guitar, like in the air, like with his legs on fire. And like, it sort of like hit like the Schwarzenegger comic book, WWF, <laughs> like all of these things were all happening with that moment. And so I don't think I really paid attention uh, that much to the music per se. Like I liked what I liked and it was like hard enough and, and catchy enough. But like I never really paid attention to like the fact that Vince Neil was like terrible, you know. Um I think there was enough going on, enough, you know, pomp and circumstance going on where you didn't even recognize that he was a terrible singer. Yeah. Like it didn't He had enough like attitude and charisma early on. Now when he's like a fat old man that can't catch his breath, no, it's you it's definitely rough. see the shortcomings of and same with like Joe Elliott. Yeah. Like he the guy can't really he sing anymore because he, he blew his vocals. He sang out. wrong too long. Yep. yep. Um but no, I think you're right. I think there was enough like kind of sideshow attraction to that was going on that, you know, and he could hit like in, in with like the right production, you know, he hits the right notes that he needs to hit for like, say, Home Sweet Home to like yeah. hit the way it needs to. And certainly we, you know, many have talked about the production that like Bob Rock did for Dr. Feelgood and just like... it's It's a... Amazing sounding record. Yeah, the warm overtones that they did to everything. He's there. not as nasally on that record either. No, no. Well, and they're cleaned up too. That's which, right. Which they did that whole lot. record cleaned, didn't they? Yep. Um, I mean, and that that does a lot. And you know, I don't know. I guess when like you said you had an experience. Do you remember what records you listened to a few years back, where you kind of like decided to like put? My it was the first. And, it was the first four 
our first three records. Okay. So you I, went I was up working at a record theater? store. So you did like Too Fast, Shout, and theater? Yeah, and I was just, I, it burned me out. It was yeah. too much. Yeah, you can't. And not having the visual component. If you're like watching it on TV, maybe it'd be different, but just all those old crummy sounding records. Yep. Worse well, and you, all, I was just like, oh. I mean, you look at like Too Fast for Love and like that's like very much like, you know, it's a cheap punk aesthetic you yeah. know, new york dolls you know chip cheap tricks sweet you know all that kind of stuff is happening there um, to a much lesser degree though <laughs> yeah no it's 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 there there's a rawness and and kind of a naivety that's kind of like cool about that you know yeah. i mean i think livewire and uh take me to the top those songs like really, i like the song livewire it's a yeah, good song they both like those songs really kind of hold up to me um you know for kind of just dumb nostalgia you yeah. know what i mean that's good anthemic like sing along with the crowd shit there wasn't like a lot of that kind of thing kind of happened in 81 um you know shout of the devil is a dramatic i think that's their best record um from start to finish you know regardless of you know i don't know how what your feelings are but you know i think the only really big misstep is you know helter skelter um you know cover they always did missteps with covers you know jailhouse rock and Smoking the Boys Room is the first thing to get him any kind of attention, I think. I, I kind of like dig that cover, you know. It, well, it made for sense what at the is. time with like Van Halen doing like Pretty Woman and like all this, like, yeah, you know, yeah. down memory um, lane shit. So yeah, I know that that cover gets bagged on, but like it's just, it's just a dumb whatever. You know, yeah. it's not that song wasn't like. Didn't Poison? What did Poison do? Um, your mama don't dance. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, I still so, picture these stupid videos. So like all these, these things, all so. these kind of like swanky, like kind of glam rock, kind of seventies rock, kind of covers of yeah. like almost like B bands because you know Brownsville Station that did Smoke in the Boys Room was not like a they're not like a classic band, the one hit wonder kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So I, I guess I have no problem doing like one hit wonder covers. You know, mm-hmm. you're not really ruining like a legacy there. You know, that was a song that like a lot of people didn't know that well, and that was still coming from an era where bands were still kind of they'd encourage you to do something that people knew yeah you know yeah. Well, you can do all your weird shit but then let's try just sure. this one to see if we get radio play well you think about like what like quiet riot did to like get people like thinking about slate again or something yeah. you know like there's something kind of cool about that in a pre-internet world where like it, it sort of forced you to like consider the influences some of those bands had you know outside of kiss or aerosmith and nobody you know? knew who a lot of those bands were at no. least in the united states yeah so it gave you like kind of a cool shine to some of that stuff yeah. you know a little bit but um you know, Shout of the Devil, which we we kind of took Bastard from, has has a, a lot of like good songs. I think from a commercial standpoint, I think it has their best commercial songs on it. You know, whether it be the title track, Looks That Kill, still is like it's got good hooks. Good, yeah. You know, like everything's kind of working with that. It's got this kind of like shitty post apocalyptic whatever the fuck video. <laughs> you know, where like the girls with like terrible makeup, and then you've got too uh, too young to fall in love, which. The video for that is like hilarious. It's like um John Carpenter uh what's the um it's a Kurt Russell movie, but it's kind of slapstick. Uh why can't I think about it? Big trouble in oh, Little big, China. Okay, yeah. It's got like some of that kind of feel to it, you know, but like it's about like a sh- like a restaurant. I don't even know what's going on in that video, but well, Tommy Lee Fall Love has like so. good backing vocals too. Oh, everything that's like makes working. that song, I think. Yeah. But. When they do like the good like shout back. Like yeah. that's why like shout out the devil looks at kill like those are all like they're they're I think that was like they're, it's made for the live arena for you know? sure it's yeah. it's great arena rock it, it kind of like even like bastard you know we're like bastard you know they're like kind of shouting in the background like Vince seems when well, I've on. seen documentaries where Nikki Six is talking about like we want this these you know X Y Z songs were made specifically so yeah. the crowd would scream back at us for sure yeah and that's that's smart you mm-hmm. know they're they're you know. 
eighties is like such a weird time period because you're sort of dealing with like this sort of excess mentality too, that like bled all the way into wall street and just like Everything. the Reagan years and, yeah. and some of that sort of stuff. And well, super conservative, you know, side and then, you know, super, you know, but though I think there's like an aspect of like Motley Crue that even though they were like against the establishment, they're very much like kind of a conservative like outlet of like like teenage rebellion, really. Yeah. Real teenage rebellion was like, you know, what conflict was doing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, or dead Kennedys. You know, like yeah. that's really what like the the true like rebelliousness this is of the eighties. Teen rebellion that you could make money it from. It was like caged rebellion. Yeah, it's yeah. like totally like I don't know. It's sort of what happened to grunge in the nineties. Like it started off with like this sort of antithetical, like um, anti whatever was kind of popular. And then it became its own. What it was, you know, yeah. sponging about. You so know, it's... I mean, as much as you want to like, you know, like as much as I wanted to think that maybe like smashing pumpkins were doing something like sort of profound when like they did like bullet for butterfly wings, like about the sadness of being a teenager. Despite There's something rage. about like, that Kate, you know, that yeah. sort of like youth culture, you know, I mean, Kurt Cobain kind of said it great, you know, when he's like teenage angst has paid off well, but now I'm bored and old, you know, like he, yeah. he knew yeah. it, he could see it fucking for what it was. And Motley Crue didn't seem to care, you know, um, I remember there's this great punk rock documentary and Thurston Moore is kind of talking about um, hardcore bands and how out of the hardcore scene, hip hop sort of emerged a little bit and kind of had like, um, some sort of friend, like almost like an alliance because the hip hop people and the punk people in the early eighties were kind of like some of the same people. And he said, what was cool about hip hop that was different than punk is he said, hip hop had its eye on the money. It had no problem with the money. Whereas punk, it was like uncool to like sell records on some level because it was like seen as being a sellout. There was no problem being a sellout in hip hop. Like it was like, no man, yeah. bling, bling, eye in the money, whatever. Like, let's get, make, take this as big as we can, you know, whether it be beastie boys or LL cool J or run DMC mm -hmm. and all that. And I think Motley Crue sort of fit that eighties aesthetic too. They definitely have their eye on the money. You know, what can we do bigger, more explosions? And and that's like the Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley approach, right? Yeah. Like they kind of fucking kiss like, coffin, man. Let's just fucking do it. <laughs> you know, um, merchandising to the, and, and so like it's it's weird to look back at motley Crue from like a musical legacy because like it's hard to separate image from music sometimes you know yeah um i think if you were to take like the top 20 motley Crue songs and put them together that i would enjoy listening to that but i think there are some real problems by the time you get to theater of pain and girls 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 that the drugs were like out of control and you just hear so much inconsistency on those records like there are some really great songs and there's just like not. It's like schizophrenic, yeah. Yeah, especially Girls, Girls, Girls. Girls, Girls, Girls has like some of the highest highs and some of like just what like that's where like Nikki was fucking ODing. I mean, like they were Several they times. were just in a lot of like Mainline and Jack really and fucking shit. brutal kind of shit, you know. Um, so it's weird. It's it's a weird thing to kind of like get into their like musical legacy. I I like Motley Crue still, like again. I think they were the first band that scared my mom and there was something kind of like appealing about that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What was like the first thing you got into that you felt like kind of was like dangerous? Was there like a band for you where you kind of felt like you were playing with fire a little bit, even if in hindsight it's like laughable because it's laughable that Motley Crue was scary, you know? Not so much because I was surrounded by stuff that was already, you know, with horror, horror movies and, you know, I, you know, get like Fangoria magazine. And so okay. none of that stuff, like my parents didn't really care until, 
um, my mom saw like dismember pieces death metal, or something. Death metal stuff, yeah. And she asked me about it and I explained it. She's like, okay. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, by the time I got to like Slayer and Cannibal Corpse and that stuff, my mom was like over it. But there was like a, I, I've talked about before on the podcast, there was like a brief period of time where like I went to church and my mom was like, got really into that. You know, being a single mom, I think she was just always kind of like struggling to find like support, a support <laughs> and just like a network of, of what she, you know, like, I don't know. In in that sort of, I think that sweep of like the Tipper Gore crest that was yeah. sort of like going in the mid 80s, like 86, 87. I'm sure my mom caught news snippets from Oprah or just whatever bullshit was being talked about. I remember, yeah, about. getting pissed and, off about, you know, especially when I was young, my, I, I grew up Catholic till I was about 13. And there's a, like a newsletter every Sunday that they'd hand out, tell, you know, what events are going on, the yeah. fish fry and all this shit. And they, that was right at the height of trying to ban D&D and G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. And that's when I was told my parents, like, what is wrong with the church that they want to get rid of, like, this thing that I That I enjoy, you know, that I enjoy you so know much. is harmless. You, yeah. know, you, you know, it's not making you, like, me listening to Shout at the Devil didn't, like, make me, like, think about, like, man, I really should get into more Satan stuff. You know, like, I yeah. just was like, I don't know. If it anything, seems, it's, it seemed dangerous and It scary. sounds like it's, like, not into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's like, you know, Sabbath, right? Right. And after forever. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, on some level, Sabbath was like the most Catholic band out there. They were fear of the devil, right? Yeah. Is, and is, even is after, Catholic. like, I just, um, an audiobook, listen to Tony Iommi's um, autobiography, which is great. I'd recommend it's very uh, even keeled and it doesn't sound like revisionist history at all. And uh, he talks about like the South, touring the South in the early, or, yeah, the early, mid 70s. And, you know, the cops would stand in their dressing room while they would were changing and they wanted to make sure they weren't doing like some type of like black mass or anything before a show started. Mm -hmm. But they started wearing, um, Ozzy's dad actually made them those aluminum crucifixes the, the they used crucifix? to wear on stage yeah. all the time because they, they, just, they got so many weird vibes and all those guys grew up pretty Catholic yeah, or Protestant or whatever they might've been. But well, there's that famous story of them recording Sabbath, bloody Sabbath and like a haunted castle and seeing shadows like geezer swears that he like saw like, I only talks about that constantly. Like that. All the houses he's had since he was a kid, he's always, he's witnessed two deaths and he thinks that somehow tapped into the spirits. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's cool. <laughs> no, I, uh, when Mike was talking, I went over to my bookcase and I have this book. I haven't read it completely yet, but I picked it up, uh, for my rock and roll history class, but it's called, we believe the children, a moral panic in the 1980s. And there's lots of books written about this kind of stuff that just look at not just heavy metal, but it certainly looks, you know, D and D was a big target. There was all this sort of stuff going around that there were like underground satanic kidnapping cults and things like that. That was a huge thing. Um, which has even become kind of like a weird, it was a little bit of like a barely sort of subplot on this latest season of like true detective a little bit. Like okay. it was kind of referenced that does that take place in the eighties then? It does. Yeah. The okay. first part of it or whatever. And you know, like whether or not that was part of some like larger conspiracy and I think all that stuff things. just comes down to people not really wanting to accept what's really happening. What's really the problem sure. with society and, it's got to just be this one, you know, demon in the corner that's doing it all. Well, and I think the, you know, Reagan, especially like the sort of bullshit kind of like Americana bull yeah. thing that he kind of sold is this like, you know, John Wayne kind of cowboy, you know, like I'm going to bring us back from all the seventies and all the decadence of the sixties and restore moral order and blah, yeah. blah, and just say no to drugs. And, and that had also, been happening for years too with Nixon and everything too, the whole war on war drugs. On drugs. And, yep. 
crime but, and everything but else. even like you know like a lot of the carter administration sort of looked the other way with like marijuana and different things like that because it doesn't so, hurt anything you know, for sure but but again it was like who do we blame we need to blame like the outsiders you know and, and reagan was trying to speak to like these fringe elements you know i mean even like the moral panic over horror films and slasher movies like mm-hmm. in the early 80s was, was pretty it was the pronounced. same way in the UK. They had the Filthy 15 or, or was, it was something similar to that. Filthy, filthy 15 was the, That's the PMRC. The PMRC yep. thing, but the the Video Nasties was the UK oh, version. Okay. Where yeah. some of the stuff was just like, what do you even, like, I think Gremlins or something was even on or something, but <laughs> just all this weird shit. But I think as, as human beings that live in, you know, an ordered society, we need to have some kind of outside yeah. boogeyman to really like keep us on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yeah. If we don't have something, like if we don't have terrorism or if we don't immigrants. have war on drugs or yeah. immigrants, whatever bullshit thing it might be yeah, like that, that galvanizes a certain set of people that can't handle. Well, it's just like a thing. really interesting thread. And, and there's some like scientists that um, kind of believe that there's something maybe innate in the, like some of our DNA, not all of us that we're almost compelled to gravitate towards like organized religions and things like that because we have to like it's just something we have to be sort of like part of um because we're we're, it's like the answer to unanswerable questions or something like that and so i don't know if like it's that same kind of like dna sort of nature that fear factor that like survival of the fittest kind of like darwinistic sort of instinct that like we're you know things we don't understand we like flock to like the simplest answers that's i yeah, think that's why yeah. people like go to conspiracy theories and, and all that well and conspiracy theories for... make things it may it's really convenient and feels um it feels safe that all this create that there's actually order behind all this chaos that yeah you know that you know whatever you know the thing might be if it's you know alien abductions or whatever like it all makes sense like no it doesn't make sense that's what's and that's, we have to make things as humans. We want to put things in order. Absolutely, and and that's I think what's so scary about like existentialism is this idea no. like what if none of this has any purpose? You know, and like that that See, for that, a lot of people is very scary. That makes you know? it easier for me. Yeah, I'm good with that because it's like yeah. I, I'm I want to leave uh, trying to just try to be the best possible person you can be. That's it. Try to be as introspective as you can. Try to be as honest as you can about things. Mm-hmm. And like, I think what's that's the why problem? I, dying that way, I'd feel more than happy if at the end of my life. You know, I've, I can, nobody says, you know, somebody's going to say something shitty, but like, no, there's not like, I didn't, I don't have a bunch of dark secrets. Yeah. I tried sure. to do as best as I could given what I had or whatever. Yeah. You know? I, I tend to be like kind of an open book with that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's not like, I don't know when people date me, like they're kind of just like, there's not much like, you're just kind of whoever you are. I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't well, really, my wife was I don't like, really she, have time to like hide she, much. She never wants to go into my office. She thinks, I don't know what she thinks is I'm doing in my office. <laughs> But she was like, I need some tape. Can I like, yeah, go get it. Yeah. And I'm like, here's the deepest. Oh, and she said, like, what do you got secrets in there? I was like, okay, I'm going to come out and tell you the deepest secret I have in my office right now. I've had a box of Cheez-Its in there that I haven't told you about for the last two days. <laughs> so that's, so that's dark shit. You know, right coming there. from the middle of Michigan, you know, yeah, a small town. I think most of our, we don't have a whole lot of deep, dark secrets. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I just, I wouldn't know how to deal with them. Well, I think that's too, like you talk about like how, I, this this is always like blown people's minds that like a lot of people I know who are either non-religious or atheists or whatever have like a pretty strong like moral compass, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is this idea that like you know you're kind of only here one time, and so like make the most of it and like I don't know just treat people like the right way. Try like, to understand as much as much yeah, of it as possible. Yeah. You're just kind of you're just gonna do 
I don't know, the best you can do while you're here. You know? yeah. um, and I don't know if that's a crutch that some people, I know for sure in history, people have like leaned on the idea that like, well, all will be forgiven in the afterlife so I can do some some uh, things some that fucking maybe are not, things here now. not crazy. So yeah. speaking of reckless, crazy shit, <laughs> let's, uh, let's finally get into the dirt, I think. So, um, you know, like I said, when you when you kind of like balance like Motley Crue's legacy, um, I like a lot of those records here and there. But but there's um, there's some things that they do that are sort of sometimes clever. And I think it's like uh, like a gem in the middle of some stuff. There's a song on Girls, 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 for instance, that's called uh, You're All I Need. And it's like plays off like a really like kind of great love song on uh, kind of like a desperate love song, you know, you're mm-hmm. all I need, you're all I want, you know, all that. but he's, he kills her. Like, that's the point is he's like, he's killed her so he can keep her for himself. And like on some level, that's kind of like, it's, that's like a sneaky, like sneak preview of where like a lot of de- like death metal lyrics will go or something. And so like, there are these things they do that are very party cliche at times, but then there's, I don't know. There's there's other things that like on occasion you 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 can tell that like a guy like Nikki Six had like some like valuable inspiration. Um, and I think some that shines out of the dirt as we sort of like start to kind of talk about that is I think the secret weapon all along was Mick Mars. Yeah. Um, you know he was not only the anchor you know according to the book and and the movie, but I think he does some sneaky things on guitar that I don't think I really ever appreciate it. Like. He's he doesn't one of those do guys. long leads, but he does like little like flares that add like a lot of color. Um, he knew when to like when to reel it in. He wasn't a showy guy at mm-hmm. all. He was a good he was a good player. He was like timing was impeccable, and he's doing rhythm and lead, yeah, which is which is cool. Like that's yeah. not always easy, you know. Um, you know, Lynch did the same thing, although Don Dockin sometimes would play rhythm, but um, you know, a lot of bands like Rat had two guitar players, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at some of those other 80s bands, they they kind of had the same thing sort of going on. Um, but yeah, Motley Crue. They kind of created it where they didn't need it. Yeah. No, it know? was like, as you said, it's like an anthemic kind of punchy sound that you can they're like do a, whatever you they're need They're a, a power trio with a vocalist. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they have that kind of like cream dynamic yeah. in, a, in a much less sense, but, mm-hmm. you know, as far as how they're playing off each other. So what was your initial take on on the dirt? Because I have well, my thoughts. I, as soon as I, uh, my wife had a friend over and they were outside talking. And I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, you guys do. Your, I was with them all day, so I was yeah. like, you guys can have your time. I'm gonna. So went to my office and like, oh Jesus, because you texted me about what 20 minutes in. Yeah, yeah. About <laughs> 20 like, minutes. Holy in, shit! I was like, oh my god! And I've heard. I you know everybody been talking about it. It's uh. You know, it's directed by Jeff Tremaine from Jackass, yep. which is very evident. And it's it's fine how it's shot, but it's it's shot with no style or visual flair. No. Uh, it's shot like an Adam Sandler movie. Yes. Yeah, it's shot I mean. like a sitcom or something. <laughs> yeah. it's, there's, yeah. no, there's nothing interesting about it. Everything is cartoonish. Yep. Um, initially, I don't care about anybody in the movie. It starts out with Nikki Six and his mom fighting, yep. and then he cuts his wrists and said it's like, I don't care. I've, that was my problem with the movies. I didn't care about anybody. Yeah. Everybody, even when uh, Vince Neal's... When his son dies. Son, his daughter. His daughter son's fucking daughter. dies. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. you ha- That's like the worst script writing ever if you can't make me care about anybody in the movie. Yeah. Because it went like, oh, we're going to kill the dude from fucking Hanoi Rocks. Yeah. Eh, whatever. Yeah. No big deal. Said, yeah. It's like... We'll deal with this a little bit by ostracizing Vince in the studio. But- yeah. 
but, but he was the... a lot more ostracized than that. Like the band sure. wouldn't even talk to him for like legitimately for like a long time. Which is that when John Crabby came into then? No, like they were they were going to do sessions for uh, Theater of Pain, and um, that's when like the the car crash sort of happened. And so the band was in the studio. So they they have that scene where like Vince kind of walks into the studio and nobody has like really reached out to him, and he's like obviously like you know, heartbroken and distraught over all the razzle stuff that's kind of happened. And that's where like, it seems like Nikki's like reaching out to him like, Hey dude, I saved you a line and basically gets Vince to like fucking snort heroin. Almost, yeah. almost kills him. That yeah. was almost like a fuck you to Vince. That's like the guys hated Vince Yeah, because he is, he was bringing so much like negativity to like the band. Not only that, but like razzle was like a friend and sure. um, it was just a shit show. And I don't think, I think it's kind of like when they fired, like Metallica fires, like Mustaine, like their intellectual, like maturity is so low that they don't really know how to deal with like that. So their like solution kind of like Metallica's was just like, well, let's not talk to Dave Mustaine about his alcoholism. Let's just like fucking like just, yeah, good luck. Get rid of you. I mean, at that age, everything is absolute. Exactly. Black and white. There's no gray. And like Motley Crue has that coupled with the fact that like they're like, addicted to lots of things and so yeah. they're not making like a lot of clear-cut decisions um and i'm not like i don't i have no sympathy for vince like vince i read an interview where um don Dockin, i don't know if you know this but don Dockin and mick mars were like roommates through like a lot of that era they, oh, were, right. they were really good friends because don was sort of like don like mick was like older than a lot of those other yeah, guys they were about 10 years older I think, yeah almost. and so i think they kind of had like a an akin you know kind of mm-hmm. spirit to that plus i think you know Don was doing shit in Europe prior and all this sort of stuff. Um, but like Don talks about like very openly um, about the general feeling with that razzle sort of thing was that Vince basically should have like gone to prison. Yeah. And that he just kind of bought his way out. And as as celebrities, celebrities do, do yeah, man. and and that that was like sort of a classic example of that. But it was like, um, it was you know, it was the example in that scene, really, mm-hmm. you know, of like a tragedy where like somebody like dodged a bullet and didn't have to pay like the consequences. And they and he said what was dangerous about that is that because Vince didn't pay that consequence, it like opened the door not only for Motley Crue to like go further into debauchery, but like a lot of other bands like almost saw that as like. If they can get away with this, then we yeah, get away with Yeah, it was like almost lot. like a blessing. Like, yeah. hey, sky's the limit. Let's fucking go. And, you know, we're lucky we don't have more casualties, I think, from that scene. We probably should. Yeah. It's almost like WWF type shit. Like, more people of that generation should, like, fucking be dead. But, yeah. like, there's only a few, really. Um, I mean, there's some that, like, are permanently, like, messed up. Like, Steven Adler from Guns N' Roses is, like, just kind of, like, fucked up like he burned just, his brain he's just yeah done <laughs> but like a lot of those guys kind of survived um they had a lot of bad breakups and a lot of like, jenny lane yeah rest in peace bro yeah, he, he didn't you know, make he's, it he's one you know i mean uh i can't remember was it i think it was robin crosby from rat i think he got hiv died of aids um if anything a lot of those guys should have fucking died of aids yeah that's the other thing yeah the std kind of stuff that was sort of going on too was was pretty rampant but so but if you say if you were somebody that you, because obviously you know a lot about the surroundings of Motley Crue. Yeah. As as just the movie. And that's the problem. If you know stuff about it already, that's that's the problem with both the movies we're, yeah, ta- we're going to talk sure. about. Yeah. Is that I don't know how to go in 
completely just as like a outside observer to this, mm-hmm. but just from watching a lot of movies and knowing what works in screenwriting and what doesn't, these there's no point to the movie outside of it. it's a series of events. It's a behind the music. to success. That's all it is. But behind the music, a documentary is much. I think is a much more cogent way to get these these ideas out and maybe to tug on some emotions like you said yeah you could you can almost like build the story of like vince's daughter dying and like sort of like the crest of him coming back into the band afterwards yeah. and if they were smart they would have done like a one-two punch with that even if it didn't it wasn't exactly how it happened in real life yeah but what it did to him and what what did he do to come back from it but he mm-hmm. didn't do anything heroic to come back from that oh so that the, there's no, really no point to the movie outside of this band existed, they were popular, they did crazy shit. That's the that's the logline of the movie. And the problem too that you get is like other people that know like Vince Neil have said like even after like the Razzle thing, he didn't pay like a price for that. And then after the daughter dying, he didn't become like really a better person. He's still sort of like not a great person to be around. No, and if anything, know? he got more famous from being on that shitty VH1 show where they put a bunch of was he on that celebrities show? in a house together that? yeah because he was cc deville was but he I was at remember. like the bottom of everything okay. at that point and yeah. he got that and then he started somehow getting a solo career again and well the funny thing about the dirt the book when it came out is that's what reunited motley crew like they they had no what was that it was nikki six and uh tommy lee that wrote it right well tommy lee mm, they all wrote their own separate parts and so what okay what happened was is, i've never read as the far book, as so. i know so Neil Strauss was the like he's the fifth guy that wrote that book, and Neil's, he's the one that put it all together. And made yeah, it make sense. Neil Strauss had done another book that Nikki Six I think had read, and he was super impressed with like what Neil Strauss did. Now it's it's escaping me. I can like look it up on my phone another later. music related thing or something. I, I believe so. And he I think in the back of his mind he always said like oh if I ever do a book like I'd want this this guy seems to like be able to pull like a lot of the chaotic threads together and. Yeah. Um, so what he did is he interviewed all four of them sort of separately, and then he sort of pulled it all together to create like kind of a cohesive narrative. And that book's success was so huge that it sort of convinced the band to like kind of put aside some of their differences and, and like kind of get back together and record, I guess, one last kind of big record, which they did a few years later, the Saints of Los Angeles. Which, yeah, I, um, I don't really remember much about that. No, I they played the song live when I saw Molly Crew, and that's all I kind of remember about it, but... You know, because at the point that I believed that the dirt came out, Tommy Lee was doing his solo career. Remember, like Methods, Methods of Madness and, and some yeah. of that kind of shit. So Tommy Lee had kind of gone on his own celebrity run. Um, this dude did um, before the dirt that came out in two thousand one. He did the uh, the long hard road out of hell with Marilyn Manson. Would that have been it? Yes, that's the book, and that book is actually like phenomenal. Then he did it like a Jenna Jameson book after that. Okay. And... Yeah, but the, it was the Marilyn Manson one that Nikki Six read, and that okay. came out in like ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, somewhere 98. Like around that. Yeah. And that book I have in my classroom, and um, it's you know even if you're not a Marilyn Manson fan, it like really does get like deep into some like just the the weird shit that was going on, and and he was such a big figure around Columbine and all of that Anacre yeah. superstar stuff that. Um, I don't know. So, so anyways, that's what like inspired him to kind of put the book together. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the impact that that had. And now what's, what's fascinating is this is, and this is like another narrative thread and I'll, I'll give my hot take on, on the dirt here in a second, but something to kind of think about that we can return to is the dirt has already shot Motley Crue back up again, like this, this documentary or this movie. Like yeah, they're doing another, they're playing again. Well, it's and... like, it's, they're like, 
blowing up on iTunes and Spotify and album sales are sort of going up and it's very calculated. Yeah, it is very calculated. It, the fact that they could put it on Netflix was a big deal because they wanted to be able to show nudity and for sure, you know, not have to worry about a PG 13 rating. And because originally this thing was like, um, it's been in the works for years. People mm-hmm. have like sort of tried to put it together, but, um, I mean, there were various like weird, there's all kinds of strange names attached to it at one point. Um, my favorite is like Val Kilmer was attached to maybe play Ozzy, but this was like 10 years ago, <laughs> not like now, you know, so like when they originally wanted to make the, the movie, but I think you're right. I think Netflix is like the perfect vehicle for, you know, something like that. Like you know? yeah, the, the cost of admission is so low for anybody to watch it. Yeah. It's, it's like easy. I had three beers in me and I was yeah. like, I'm going to watch this thing. Yeah. And that's the perfect way to watch it almost. But I guess I don't understand. I I haven't talked to too many of my students who have no memory of Motley Crue other than just like a few radio songs to see if it's like something they give a shit about. Yeah. The only, the other thing that's like really weird, the strains kind of floating around out there is this fear that like the dirt will like connect with like this reinvigorated sort of like, um, angry white supremacy young male thing that's kind of exists in the internet and in some of like the alt-right and will like almost like empower like them to be more <laughs> like a bit of a stretch, misogynistic or yeah. yeah it was really i, I saw that strand and kind of was like hmm, that's interesting that's, i mean i didn't believe it that but, type uh, of thing is like saying that mad men you know created like mass smoking and drinking something like that. Yeah. like yeah it's yeah, no i don't think it's a correlation at all but but you know like that that people I guess the thought is, is like it, it, it looks back fairly nostalgically, very nostalgically. Um, it doesn't seem to nail the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's I don't, just no point to it. I don't know what the consequences are of that lifestyle. Like, yeah, you know, like I don't Nikki think Six Vin, Vince's twice. daughter doesn't die because of their lifestyle. No. You know what I mean? Like Nikki Six dies, but then he gets clean and like he's good again it's fine and yeah and everything's fine um he had a shitty childhood but it didn't seem to affect his character at all no outside of tommy lee's marriage punk rock. fucked up a bit but like yeah. that's like and you cannot be in a rock band and have fucked up marriages yeah know? if anything so, like, yeah like the character is from a screen i don't know who wrote the screenplay to this thing probably like 16 people <laughs> yeah it's, it's definitely by committee yeah. but like okay tommy lee had a great childhood he grew up with parents that are married and loved each other and i love Actually, no I problem. Wanted, like that's the I only part of the movie I enjoy. Time with Tommy Lee's parents. I would rather, yeah, have it all be from their perspective. Seeing it, it needed to be from somebody else's perspective. Right. There needed to be like a narrative lens that gave you. It was just a like POV. this omnip- omnipotent, yeah. omnip- omnipotent, yeah, omnipotent, yeah. like you know, God watching and like explaining. It was like no, a you're fucking right. Gospel. That would have been like kind of the interesting, um, you know, POV. But I don't think they wanted to put too much effort into it. I think this no, was this just- is a very like mainstream, like you know, it's a popcorn movie yeah. it wants to be easily digested as many people enjoy it as possible but my i think my greater problem with movies in general is just narrative structure doesn't matter anymore it's just a delivery of stuff here's stuff here's stuff. like surprisingly we watched uh we've got um game of thrones is coming up again so we've got hbo on our yeah added on our subscription again so we've been what they always have more mainstream movies that we never get to see and there's this rock movie that came out last year i never heard about called skyscraper uh-huh. Have you heard of that at all? No, it's not the one from Finland, is it? No, it's it's all in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. It's great. Yeah. It is an 80s action movie. It has it everything that's set up is paid off. Wait, is it the one where they they're they're moving up the floors? Fighting? There's a fire? Yeah. 
Hmm. No, you're thinking of The Raid or something. I think. Yeah, that I mean, movie's kind of yeah. badass, actually. This is like, yeah, I had okay. no expectations going in. It was like a Schwarzenegger action movie. Okay. But as far as if I had to like take it into a film class, the screen, the, the script was great. Yeah. As far as technically, it wasn't like amazing, but as far as like everything that was set up was paid off. Well, Little it's like things. Die Hard. Yeah. Die Hard's like a perfect script. Yeah, everything almost. is, yeah. it's just, the timing on everything is great. It's ridiculous, but it's like, there was craft put into mm-hmm. it. Like somebody yeah. knew what they were doing. And with this movie, there was no craft whatsoever. The performances were... Eh. Some of them are terrible. Like, They're really bad. Like Pete Davidson was terrible. I don't like, know what his problem is because I usually like awful. everything he's in. Like he was awful. And yeah. Like I was like... It was like he, he was reading he's, his lines over somebody's shoulder. Like, it was almost like a Sarah Live skit. Like he was trying to be bad. Yeah. Like that was the character. That's like, what it felt like. It was weird. Like the, the, the character that was the most honest... Two two characters I thought were like the best portrayals. The guy that played Tommy Lee, which I know he's like kind of a shitty rapper, Machine Gun Kelly or whatever. I've never heard of that guy before. But it doesn't matter. You don't yeah. need to. But it's something. He like was that. fine. He like yeah. he captured. You know what I remember about Tommy Lee was like Tommy Lee's like a the fucking golden retriever that does like cocaine. Yeah. And that's, that's a good great. way to explain Like, him. he's just like, he's loyal. He's a positive guy. He's just like, he yeah. fucking just likes to be a rock and roll guy. Like, yeah. he's just in it for the right reasons, but like, he also has no like ability to it's like a golden retriever if i lay out like six bowls of food like golden retrievers are loyal and nice but they're gonna like gorge themselves until they fucking vomit all over the floor yeah and that's tommy lee like yeah he doesn't mean any harm like i'm sorry heather i had to fuck all these chicks like i couldn't help myself you know um and then the guy from game of thrones that played ramsey uh, bolton yeah ramsey bolton playing uh mick mars he was fine and mick mars is kind of a Mick Frankenstein character like anyway. Sobering though, like his yeah. his like little meta side notes. That's you know maybe that's who the movie should have been told from. Yeah. It's like his perspective, seeing these fucking assholes do stuff. But it probably would have given too much attention to Mick Mars. But like, sure, it was a very democratically like separate. Like everybody gets their own little you know parts yeah. in it, and I don't know. I think just the I st- I've never seen the walk. What is it called? Walk tall, walk long, whatever the Oh, the mockumentary about that biopics. Awesome. I heard that that's been compared to a lot of movies lately. Yeah, that movie's awesome. Like, have they you seen it? it? You haven't seen no. it? No. With uh, John C. Riley? Walk Hard is Walk that Hard. Yeah, it's fucking great. That, I want to see and that Walk because. Hard's, like, the dirt felt like it was doing Walk Hard. They but feel like it parodies. Wasn't, it wasn't parody, though. It was yeah. like an Onion article that you're like, oh, it's not an Onion article. <laughs> that's how Bohemian Rhapsody is. Oh, is it? It's okay. exactly the same thing. It yet, it's terrible. So. It's fucking awful. Like, the guy that does. It's the, there's a fine, the, the actors in that movie, they do a good job making, yeah. impersonating who they're trying to play. That's, yep. that's it. But as far as like, if you stand back it's like, okay, what is the point of this movie? Yeah. Sure. They wrote great songs, but it wasn't like, that's, it's just the same thing with this. It's like, oh, we got this idea. Let's do, you know, we will rock you. They're just sitting in the studio and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah. fuck. Really? <laughs> like that's okay. It's just like a really simplified, maybe for younger people, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just got nothing out of it at all. It's the performances were fine, but it was just like, why? What's the point? Yeah, yeah. Why did, would you not? That's because I was really stoked if uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was going to be the one to in it. They'd go into all the weird sexuality and how the you know how that like fucked up everything. Yeah, and how it was like really but, hard on but I Freddie feel like Mercury. Avoid it all the hard decisions. There's from n- what I've heard. There, yeah, there's nothing. It's just it's not even worth. If it's on HBO, watch it or something. Yeah, but it's I not because I want to see. I love. Uh, uh, the dude from, uh, well, I can't think of it, Robot. Um, the android looking dude? The main dude. 
plays Freddie Mercury. What's the fucking show on USA? I love it. I can't think of it. Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. I was going to say okay. iRobot, but that's fucking <laughs> Will Smith or um, yeah. I just think that's that's like a, a this is starting to be telling as a problem for biopics. Yeah. I think they're inherently flawed. I can't think of one biopic that I think is good. Well, I think like what what's so good and again, it might be cliché to say this, but like you look at like a movie like Lincoln, all right, that Spielberg did. That came from a very specific point of view, though. What's it made cool sense. cool about Lincoln is it's just about, it's not like trying to tell his childhood. It's not, it's just. It's a pivotal part in his this life. this little moment. Let's talk about this and yes. then move on. And there yes. were some people that were like annoyed that like, like, well, where's the rest of it? Where's the fucking Civil War? Where's the, you know, this, you know. And like, I recently have been like on a huge John Ford kick because I'm teaching this film mm-hmm. class and he does a movie starring Henry Fonda called Young Mr. Lincoln. Mm-hmm. He's not a president in that movie. It doesn't end with him being elected. Yeah. It's just him as like... It's about his character. It's about who he is as a person building towards his his like opening up a law office. Yeah. And like defending like people. And like that's all it's about. And it's like that's that's what you do with a biopic. You need you to have a, a point. Yeah, yes. exactly. You, you, have do, a, you need to have a perspective and a, a point of view... To tell it, otherwise it's just it's too much stuff. It's Unless like you're going to do something like episodic, if you're going to do a ten part yeah. TV biopic series where, like for instance, the People versus OJ Simpson was Those like really good, great, yeah, because it was every episode was from a different POV and every episode was trying to achieve something. So you saw like a a Marsha episode, yeah, you saw an episode that dealt with race, you saw an episode that dealt with sexism, you saw an episode that dealt with like celebrity kind of worship and and all that. Uh, episode that was focused on the jury so mm-hmm. you looked at these moving parts separately so like imagine like if they did the dirt as like a six-part series and like part one was like i don't Nikki. think it holds up i know to that. but but again <laughs> would it would it have worked better as like 45 minutes like from the pov of like nikki 45 minutes from the pov of tommy and it's each of their narratives and maybe like maybe they're they you see these moments where they're care- like storylines cross paths or something like yeah. that i don't know i think it every, probably over a lot of these but. work I think there's rare exceptions where it works, where you can do something like Lincoln. Yeah. Or, you know, where they actually, that's a historical figure that has so much more weight and has done more for the country than... Than Nikki Six For, you know, fucking <laughs> drug addicts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but most of these, I would rather see a documentary, to be honest. Yeah. I think that works better. Like, I don't give a shit about the Eagles, but I watched a three-hour Eagles documentary and I was yeah. riveted the whole time. Well, that Tom Petty one is like... That's three, fantastic. Three or four hours. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, you're in it with the characters, like... It's not, you're not trying to sell us on like a Hollywoodization of something or yeah. you're, you're not moving past the hard parts. Yeah. And if you're a, a skillful enough editor or director for a documentary, I think documentaries is more like the editing is what really, yeah. you know, you find it in the edit that you can find these things and kind of pursue those more. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, this, I was just kind of left. There like, are a couple, okay. there are a couple of things I like in the dirt though. It's, it's a fabulous disaster. Um, it's terrible, yeah. but there's moments where like, all the good natured feelings in my childhood were like there in a, in a moment. Um, well, I think that's what they're preying on for sure. And I'm the target audience. Yeah. And you then know, like just, younger just, kids that are watching is like, wow, that's crazy. Is that what yeah. the eighties was like? Yeah, exactly. It's nost- like most of our cult, most of popular culture now is just nostalgia. Like, Hey, remember that? Mm-hmm. Hey, star Wars. Remember that? Hey, fucking it. Remember that? Yeah. Whatever. Pet cemetery is com- coming out. Another one. Yeah. Which I've actually heard good things about that. I'm it's actually funny, kind of but it's just like they were doing beat for beat, like the trailer we saw when we go to once see us. There's too much fucking. I was just going. I, I saw us last night, and I was turning to my buddy Austin, and I kind of said like, 
why do they show so much in the fucking trailers? Like they're giving away like they show the Fred like the Fred Gwynn they cut show in the, the ankle scene Achilles yeah scene don't fucking show let people like you and I who grew up at Pet Cemetery wonder and have that moment yes. where you go oh fuck there it is yeah instead of like oh now I know it's coming whereas like you compare like the artistry of that to like um which lacks any artistry or subtlety you probably saw the Tarantino uh that was great and that tells you nothing. No. But it tells you everything you need to know to know you want to see it. It sets a tone. That's all it needs. And at to first, do. I was like, "Ah, I, I always DiCaprio. I've always got a chip on my shoulder." But lately, he's never turned me wrong. I, I, I'm done. I'm, but when I'm, any Titanic beef I have, oh no, no, whatever, no I just, I'm, I'm I just, I just like, yeah. I, th- I think he needs to like prove himself to me every single time. Yeah. But at the very end of the trailer, when that girl comes up and <laughs> he's, he's like, like, "I got your," I was like, "That's fucking great." Yeah. I totally like this. <laughs> yeah. I, I get. The vibe of this yeah, movie, though. it's going to be great. There's going to be this weird, like, Manson, Helter Skelter shit absolutely. going on. It's going to be, like, like the, the death of the hippie culture in yeah. the background of Hollywood. Yeah, all so of be, Oh, okay, I'm excited to see and that. And again, no, you don't know anything that's happening in that. I don't want to. You know you want to see that movie, and yeah. that's how you do a fucking trailer. And I was so... I, I, well, I think anyways, the problem... I was really angry about that. The greater problem with trailers is that I don't, I don't think this existed in the 80s as much, because each different... Um, production studio would do their own trailers. Yeah. Now there's trailer houses that do everything. Yeah. So everything's got to have like the off the heartbeat if it's a certain yeah. type of thing. Or... Well, make sure you show like four jump scares. Like, no, like you don't ruin all the fucking horror movie jump scares. They're all the same. Everything's the same. Stupid. So I'm just, I'm just bored by most things. That Which I, I kind of dug not to go on too much of a tangent. <clears throat> we'll kind of round things up and, and finish with Motley Crue in a second. But that's what I dug so much about, like say the trailer for us compared to actual us is like, I still it, think they showed it, too much. I told you a, a little but not it didn't really open up like a lot of the greater themes of that movie. You knew that there was some True. kind of home invasion aspect, but you didn't know all of like I don't know. Same with Get Out. Like for Get Out, you knew that there was some like something's fucked up with the white people, but like you yeah. didn't know what it was and why it was. And at least they left that part out there. Like yeah. there's nothing with Pet Cemetery. They literally told you there's this fucking place where they bury things, they come back. Yeah. Let's watch the fucking little girl get hit by a fuck. You know, like you're literally the only thing they changed the is they didn't have the little boy instead get of hit. the boy. It's a girl. Yeah, and I've even seen one trailer where they fucking show the aunt. So that really? shit's gonna be in there, which oh, is God. fine. But like, God damn it! I just don't care anymore. It makes I, me so angry. I watched. Um, I don't think Muriel had ever seen. My wife had ever seen the first Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And we watched it again. I was like, this is so fucking good. Yeah, it's, it's decent, really good. Yeah. And it's like a schlocky, it's, shitty '80s it's, movie. It's kind of low budget to yeah. uh, to like it works though. Yeah, yeah. Like if it had brighter production values, it's it because have. it has good. It's it. It's kind of like uh, harkens back to, you know, like old, um, like Amicus, like the old in the like uh, the mm-hmm. Hammer horror movies. Yeah, where you have like everything's very B, but you have great actors in it. Yep, like you have Fred Gwynn playing the next door neighbor. Of course, it's gonna like it's overacted and schlocky but it all has a good script sure thematically everything comes together makes sense there's I a point to it when i was way too young though uh it fucked me up a little bit yeah i was i saw that in the theater and i was i was like 87. i was probably no i don't think it's that old is it it's 87 or 88 i'm almost positive it might be 88 because the chick um that played the lead she was tasha yara in star trek next generation oh, left after yeah. the first year yeah, that's right it might, yeah it's probably 88 yeah but the scene with the ant and like the multiple sclerosis or whatever the fuck she has. Oh yeah. Like that. She has spina bifida or something. Just her turning around and her lips. Oh God. It fucking haunts me. Seeing her like writhe on the bed as a kid. 
And like, I was like, Jesus fucking I, I, Christ. I could not get away from the screen pass. And, and I, I had to go. I remember not to, I never had to deal with a fucking relative that was like that. But I, I had that same feeling when I used to have to go see my great aunt who was sick. And I was a little kid. I just didn't want to. They were like gross and I didn't want yeah. to deal with it. But that like, re- it was one of those like primal kid things. Well, I saw a movie and it was a TV movie. I think it was like NBC when I was a kid. And it was about like um, a girl that gets sick and gets cancer, like a little, like a little, like a 10 year old. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where she's playing on like playground equipment that like looked dangerously close to like pulling elementary. Like it was just like, which is where I went to elementary school, kind of near where Mark and I grew up. And um, she's like on the top of it and she like falls off. And like, like starts like, you know, something's wrong. They take her to the hospital. There's a scene where she's like in the bathroom and she just starts vomiting blood into the bathtub. And like, I still, I think that's where my medical phobia started, you know, cause people that know me know, like I, I, I'm good with needles. Needles don't bother me, but like blood and medical shit. Like that's my, you don't have any problem when Slayer does raining blood and it's no, like none of that. Like, it's so weird because like I have zero issues with most horror movies, but like medical horror, like I can't, I, I would watch 10 chainsaw massacres over like one episode of ER. It like, like them showing open surgery and like anything with hospitals, like really okay. like gets me. Yeah. And so that aunt that's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's the same kind of thing. Like I yeah. don't want to see like sick relatives, like sickness and all that shit really fucks me up a lot. So, but and they even showed that in the fucking trailer. I know. I know. So it's like Jesus. But yeah, so, so the dirt, uh, I guess I, I, I don't know, I guess for our Patreons out there, like, I guess if you never were a fan of Motley Crue and you watched the dirt, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like, do you have any emotional attachment whatsoever to any of it? Because as far as Mark and I are concerned, like, unless you really loved the band, like, I think I was, I think I was filling in the gaps. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah I so was I. I was moving the story along, knowing what I already know about the band and my you knew subtext that wasn't yeah, yeah that wasn't you know presented there in the film. And, and there's it, some stuff in like the opening like half hour that like before like they started to try to spin it into a behind the music or whatever, mm-hmm. where like when they perform live the first time and they're playing "Take Me to the Top," yeah, and like they fucking attack people. Like even though that didn't really happen. Like from what I know, like yeah. it didn't really happen. There's Probably something kind of sense. like there's like a moment there, like you're like fuck yes. It's like when you're watching like a inspirational like sports movie, like remember the Titans or something. Like there's that moment, like you know Friday Night Lights or whatever, <clears throat> yeah. where like you're sucked into that moment. You know, and Nikki Six fucking nails the dude with the bass, and then that dude in the back, like it gets real quiet, and he's like Motley fucking crew. And you're like yeah, like. But the thing is, your it mind been is cool to be there. Is in that building moment. all that up? That was not like uh present there in the movie that was all you filling that in i know i was feeling all that in so that's either genius on their part (laughs) yeah i don't know how the cycle or it's just our mind filling in the gap i mean because that's what we do is fill up you know we try to make things make sense yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) so So basically as we sort of close things out uh, do you have any final thoughts before i kind of wrap things up with the dirt here the dirt is like if you're drunk at two in the morning and you want a whopper it's good yeah uh, it's fine. It's empty calories. It's empty calories. I will never watch it again. I don't. The only reason I thought about it as much as I did is because I knew we were going to do this recording, yeah. and I like trying to figure out what's bad, what sure. I think is bad in something that, and how it could have been made pod, sure. maybe better. Yeah, just from all film criti- like criticism classes we took in school. So absolutely. So to kind of as a palate cleanse here, and in honor of the fact that Vince never had to really pay any consequences for this, I thought an appropriate way to sort of uh, transition and give us kind of a a commercial break, if you will, 
is uh, we're gonna we're gonna play a Hanoi Rock song where Razzle, the drummer who dies in the car crash, which by the way, a lot of that stuff was like fucked up too. It, it was Vince rounding a corner like super tight. It wasn't like them like having a conversation about yeah whatever. So I don't know. Some that just it, made it easier. They whitewashed some of it a little bit, yeah. but. Anyways, we're going to end with A Million Miles Away from Two Steps from the Move, uh, which was the last record that uh, Razzle, the drummer from Hanoi Rocks, was on and kind of really ended the sort of original era of Hanoi Rocks before Michael Monroe went on and did some solo stuff. And I think the band has kind of repurposed itself through the years. I don't know a lot about post-1984 Hanoi Rocks. I'm not Rocks, sure either, yeah. You know, or whatever. I know they were kind of moving in more of a uh, commercial sort of glam direction at that point. But there's some lyrics in here that kind of talk about ref- the f- reflection of the the lifestyle of that era and some of maybe the casualties and, and Razzle sort of being one of them. So, so if the dirt didn't have any reflection, at least this song, at least this song has, has a little bit of it. And it's got some uh, really great saxophone uh, yes. parts going on <laughs> with it. So we'll come back right after this and then kind of talk about some of the more heavier sort of stuff. Uh, so this is Hanoi rocks million miles away from two steps from the move.
that was Hanoi Rocks, a million miles away from two steps from the move. And so speaking of moving, we're moving into a different direction, into the extreme direction. Um, in a documentary direction. Yeah, and just as a quick palate cleanse before we get into the inevitable hot take that people have been waiting for, which is, you know, uh, the Mayhem, you know, movie, Lords of Chaos. Um, two documentaries that kind of we've recently seen that I don't think we really commented on were the uh, the Death documentary and the Grindcore, Slave to the Grind documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, both of which I liked. What a wealth of riches nowadays that we can have. I have multiple death metal black metal documentaries in my collection notes yeah this is a, <laughs> a nice this is a weird, era to be in yeah. weird time to be alive um yeah. like i said if you had told like 16 year old me hey when you bought that symbolic record there's gonna be a documentary about these guys you know yeah um and even like interviewing chuck like i got i got pretty choked up a couple times in that death documentary because he was my first major interview um that i ever did for eclipse magazine and just knowing that on some level, like I got to like have a personal connection with the guy, like he probably doesn't remember me from anybody, like yeah. you know, whatever I was, but I got to go on the the, the bus and and sit with them, and you also know. makes a lot of these, you know, pretty pretty impactful to me too, because yeah, being eighteen, nineteen years old, nervous interviewing bands, um, you know, thirty five years later, still talking about it, still it, yeah. it mattered a lot. Like it's uh, heavy metal music is one of the like the biggest deals in my my it's like it's a huge deal to me for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like just the fact that I had an opportunity with a guy like him who passed away. So, so quickly after that, I mean, yeah, he died about three, three and a half years after I interviewed him. Cause, uh, sound of was 2003 was, or two. Who they died? Yeah. It was probably 2002. So yeah, about four years after sound That's of Perseverance crazy. came out, it's fucking you know? 36 or something. Yeah. So, um, but that one, I just highest of recommendations. It's great. There's really, really good. Uh, the Chris Reifert stuff. I like a lot in there. Mm-hmm. Where it goes, like a lot of that stuff isn't talked about a lot. Um, but for, um, I don't know if you picked up the reissues of like Scream Bloody Gore and stuff too, or some of them. Yeah. I got, it's the, got some uh, really good liner notes, but it was nice to have him like talk about that stuff yep. too. They're kind of hard to read in some of them. The colorization in like, uh, the LP, it's a little bigger, so it's easier to read. Okay. <laughs> I am on CD. Yeah. It's like the, the old man. They use like magnifying gold, glasses. They use things. like gold, like font or something like to write yeah. some of the liner notes in, uh, individual thought patterns in human, I feel like. Okay. You know? So, um, and I, I actually bought from you the spiritual healing one. Yeah. On I, I got all yeah. the, the relapse reissues of all those. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, it was great. I mean, that one highest, highest of recommendation on that one. And a lot of the stuff I kind of forgot about, uh, their tour reputation in Europe for a long time. And I was like, God, it just, that one like brought back a lot. It like made my memory, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like makes more neurons connect. And I was like, oh shit, I totally forgot about how he was like being ragged on. Cause he kept like dropping off all these tours. Cause he, cause whatever reason, you know? Yeah. But, it seemed like, it, yeah, that it's, it was sad that there was like so many disasters that sort of kind of like befell them. You know, yeah. they couldn't keep a consistent lineup and stuff. And, you know, Chuck's reputation, I know we talked about this in the, um, you know, three, four part death series that we did over the years. Um, we did every record, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did three parts um, that just covered like three different eras. And then we did our own singular episode just on Sound of Perseverance and okay. kind of the end of the road there. Um, and, uh, you know, he always gets this reputation for being kind of like tough in the studio or just being tough to tour with. But the vibe I got from that documentary was not so much. I mean, he he's, nobody held any ill will about like yeah. them like being, you know, like I think Terry Butler's interviewed in there, mm-hmm. and he even like in the studio, and he's like, Chuck, I don't think I can play these this bass stuff. Like, yeah, play the lives. Like, that's okay. I got it, man. Yeah, 
But he was like, nobody is pissed because they changed members and did another album or like people just got it. Or I think something. they just knew he had a singular vision and yeah, just, it was his he thing needed and... to do what he needed to do, you know. But it was cool to like hear from his family members and yeah, hear his about sister his, was on it, his mom, his and Canadian adventures and you slaughter know, and slaughter, stuff yeah, 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 all that kind of interesting stuff. The only thing that they didn't touch on that I wish they would have a little bit was the repulsion you know the the summer of death where yeah matt and uh scott carlson scott went down up. to yeah and Which, they they recorded like four rehearsal tapes mm-hmm. with them i've but heard then, some of that stuff you know like cam lee you know dropped off or whatever and then they didn't have a drummer so yeah but it's it's interesting how all these you know these threads kind of connect in, in a certain way which then leads us to the other documentary we watch because that starts yeah. off kind of with Repulsion is uh, Slave to the Grind, mm-hmm. uh, Canadian documentary. Doug Brown, who's a Facebook friend with both of is us, is he an anthropologist as well or something? I don't know if he is. I know he's made some, he's produced some other films, okay, um, and stuff. So because this is one that I've, um, it's been going for quite a while. I think they like did a couple like Kickstarter issues. I was going to say or... I think it's because it was crowdsourced and crowdfunded no. a little bit and it, more. It starts really strong and then it kind of like peters out a little bit for me. Yeah. Um, I think it was, and just, I've, I've had very limited, um, experience editing video and I can only imagine how hard it is to go through and cut out. Like you do, I don't know, 30 interviews with people, try to like listen to everything that they're saying, figure out, he talked about this, that leads to this. Can I put these together? Like what to cut out, how to weave the narrative. Sure. And the narrative started really strong. It starts out uh, with Scott Carlson Flint, Michigan, basically yeah. talking about yeah. Flint, Michigan, how it was to be a kid, you know, all the stuff going together with repulsion, the, the blast evolution beat. of the blast beat. And then Dave Whitty comes in and does this great thing. Dude, the where stuff with the blast beats was really cool. Where like, he's like, blast beat is, like me. is the rudiment that changed everything. Yeah. It's like, what a great, and he, I'm sure he wasn't cued. Dave's a really smart mm-hmm. sweet guy. He was like, God, that's like the fucking, that's what you needed in that. Inter, like the in that documentary that pulled the whole thing together absolutely yeah and just like him <clears throat> showing the different methods that you can kind of do stuff yeah and, and you know for somebody that doesn't play drums for you you probably have a better understanding of it but uh yeah it was it was nice to see that and, and, and explained in a way that like people like musical novices wouldn't understand what you know if you say like whatever the beat might have been if yeah. you try to say what the you know the, the tablature might have been like i don't know what the fuck that is but you see a guy do it like oh, okay that makes a whole sure. lot of sense and i thought the the one thing that i thought they should have spent more time with and i think you kind of agreed was i think napalm should have been probably more the crux of that, that yeah. movie a little bit more absolutely um, you know they 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 definitely devoted enough time you know to telling like the the kind of streamlined version of kind of the napalm sort of thread a little bit but um yeah, like I said, I think it would be interesting to have spent a lot more time on, and, and Napalm would be the band that you would want to focus on with it, but other bands could kind of come into conversation like Carcass. Mm-hmm. This like sort of limiting idea that sort of existed with early uh, Grindcore, that Grindcore, because it was coming from a punk aesthetic with metal parts built into it as well, had much more of a purist sort of point of view towards Grindcore a little mm-hmm. bit. In terms of like, these are the rules, these are the expectations, these are the kind of things that we sort of expect to see in it. Um, I mean, they talked about it a little bit with AC, you know, where they kind of were like, well, AC was kind of doing this like comedy meta sort of like thing on it. It wasn't yeah. really political or necessarily like what Grindcore was supposed to be. But to me, Napalm and Carcass were these two bands that decided at a certain point that they needed to like evolve beyond just the traditional limits of grindcore with like harmony corruption and 
you know, heart work and just even really some of the stuff that they did before heart work. Um, you know, symphonies, symphonies. Yeah. It was even like had some melodic elements, but I think most people were still okay with symphonies. It was yeah. probably more like necroticism where people were like, Whoa, well, an acoustic is, guitar, you, you know, know, Jeff Walker's called it a musical abortion. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's, a, it's a mess. So it's, yeah. But I think the, the biggest problem with the documentary is that it doesn't know what it wants to say. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it wants to be a blanket about grindcore, which is too big of it. You have to like narrow it down a little bit. And I think if they would have done the thing that the banger documentaries do really well is they, they approach it from a, you know, a sociological standpoint. Yeah. Um, but show, I don't think we got enough of where this stuff came from. Mm -hmm. Like show like anarcho punk and hardcore and all this stuff and how that kind of like brought it in a little bit. And then, you know, Hellhammer and venom and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I kept waiting for them to talk about like the the Celtic Frost riff in Napalm, and yeah. that, that being sort of a core part. And you can even hear it in Terrorizer too. Like sure. it, it exists in a lot of those bands, you know. Um, for as much time as they spent like in the blast beat, they sort of like forgot about some of those kind of things. And um, and I, I doubt they forgot about them. They just chose not to get into them as much. Yeah, you know, or you couldn't get like it would have been great if they would have got, um, you know, Mick Harris to be interviewed yeah, in that as well. Because yep. he was kind of, you go, there's like, I think there's probably like three or four drummers that really kind of like, the, where the blast beat came to its own. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Hollingshead, Dave Grave from Repulsion, I think is the purest representation of this guy that came from pop punk band or like college rock as they were yeah. talking about. He got pushed to his limits. Yeah. So his limits kind of dictated what he did, which made it more interesting. Yeah. Which they never did double bass at all. So that was like the purest version of the blast beat. And then you get like, you know, um, Pete Sandoval. Yeah. Who can just... And he fucking takes it up to another level. Yeah. But then um, I think Mick Harris, him and Dave are my two favorite blast beat guys Mm. because they're kind of playing outside of their realm of, they're not great at it. Yeah. But man, the enthusiasm... And what they do with it is just fucking great. Yeah, and when you find that in music, like you see, I was just posting a Creator song the other day, um, and Creator, the drummer, uh, Ventor, Ventor yeah. he was always like a quarter step behind like everything at all times, and that was sort of... But like, I liked it. it made, yeah, yeah. It, it gave it sort of like a charm or whatever, and, and I think you're right that Sandoval's just such a beast. Um, he, that put was, it, he took it to another level. That was kind of interesting. I didn't know about some of the bad blood there, about like... Oscar oh yeah, yeah. And, uh, that was something I didn't. Yeah, the terrorizer wasn't, stuff was wasn't, interesting wasn't too. really in, you know like aware of as much because uh, it doesn't get talked about. Oscar Garcia doesn't seem to come up in like a lot of. I don't see interviews with him very often, so it was kind of cool to see his. POV no, I know he's been playing. Things. They put out. They have two other records. Past yeah. World Downfall. I think they're they're called Terrorizer L A. Okay, and yeah. I guess in the last couple of years since um, Pete had his, he had like back surgery mm-hmm. or something. He's been doing. He did that fucking awful Beethoven's Fifth video. Did you ever see that? No, I did not. No. Where he's playing drums along to that. Okay. And it might not be Beethoven's Fifth, but it's some classical piece where it's, yeah. just, it's fucking ridiculous. Speaking of bad drum things I saw recently, <clears throat> somebody posted um, Chad Smith, the guy that looks like Will Ferrell from mm-hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers, during the Bad Boys era of the Pistons, like 89. Yeah. He came in at halftime of just, I don't think it was a playoff game, just a regular like Pistons game at the Palace and did the national anthem on drums. And it's, it's really fucking strange, but it almost sort of works. But you're like, what the? Dun, 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 yeah, dun, what must the crowd have been like thinking? Like he he captures the spirit of it, but it's such a weird fucking idea. Like who appro- who greenlighted that? Like yeah yeah, Pistons fans <laughs> will love this. <laughs> you know, like 
I don't know. It was strange. But anyways, that, that was my strange drum discovery <laughs> recently is Chad Smith playing the national anthem on drums. So, um, but yeah, yeah. like, I, I just think it needed to be, it almost, it felt almost like a, uh, like an album that needed a producer. Yeah. It needed somebody yeah. to be like, well, what, like they almost needed to sell it to somebody to give them money. So what's this going to be about? It can't yeah. just be about just grindcore. Yep. Cause at the end, like it just sort of, I don't know. Like it lost a little bit of it. I thought like it direction. meandered a lot right away. Like they t- start talking about bands I've never, like younger bands that I don't know if they really had in, in the scheme of things. Sure, they're like kind of the next generation. Yeah, there's been like Canadian bands which might have had like a little bit more of like fuck the facts and stuff. Like they're kind yeah. of like a new one of the newer kind of guard of good, you know, of like uh, grind that are doing something different. I like all the brutal truth stuff. I think yeah, they're that was cool, super important. Um, yep. The anal cunt stuff went on way too long. Yep. And I've never, I think they're more of a, unless there's just something I don't get about Kind of like it. a comedy band, really, you know. They're, they're like meta. Yeah, and they're trying to like poke the bear. You yeah. You know, like that was, Seth was always But Seth Button was a people. fucking cocksucker. Yeah. Like, and I don't know how much he really brought musically to anything. He surrounded himself with good players, like Scott Hall played in, yeah. you know, AC. There's a bunch of people that played in, in AC that were, you know, of note, I guess. But... Like whenever we bought like an AC record, it was just to like laugh at. It was the song titles. Yeah, that's it. And it was like I remember seeing them in New York. I was working at Relapse, and it was 1996. I don't remember what album. I think they're on Earache at that point. Mm-hmm. It might have been like the Saturday Night Fever era or some shit. Yep. All he did, I saw it, it was them, Brutal Truth, and what else was it? It was back when um, when New York was not very metal friendly. Okay. I remember walking to the car and got bottles thrown at us and shit. Really? That's kind of... Huh. <laughs> and uh, everybody's doing coke on a table down in the basement. I was okay. like, okay. I, the first time I ever saw that is a <laughs> you know a kid from the middle of Michigan. Yeah, yeah. But Seth was just being a dick and like hitting people with the microphone stand and guys were coming at him like... They should, in my assessment, maybe I'm missing something, but he seems like he should just be like a little footnote. Yeah. In the whole thing. Yeah. And I never, in all the narratives that I've thought about with Grindcore, AC never really comes up at all. No. It's always Repulsion, Terrorizer, Napalm, Brutal Truth. That's like yeah. that original kind of core. You know, you could even, I don't know, do you drag ENT into that? You know, I know that they're kind of coming from like a kind of a different place, but I've always sort of thrown them in and Doom that and a little bit. A lot of that Doom, stuff, I kind of yeah. like, I think they're they're closer than a lot of people think. Yeah. Um, um, but that wasn't like really talked about much at all. And yeah. granted, it's, uh, you know, it's tough to get, you know, go overseas and get interviews mm-hmm. with people. So, yeah, yeah. But it depends on who can like who's touring, who you can, you know, get time with. And and I haven't checked out. I uh, I bought it. So I have it. Um, the special features look pretty interesting. It looks like there might be a lot of more interviews that we, you know, might I'm be sure. fruitful and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, we haven't. The human remains stuff's good. Any of the stuff with Dave Woody on it's, mm-hmm. is, is great. But um, I just thought it was a little... It should have probably been about 20 minutes shorter. It should have been like an hour and... I don't know what the running time. I think yeah. it's hour 45. It should have been hour 25, hour 30 tops. And I guess if you maybe cut some of the AC stuff down a little bit. Maybe he yeah. just got like good stuff that he thought well, was I, usable. Well, I can see... You know? if, it seems like he was almost a victim of what he got. Yeah. Because he was getting true. a lot of stuff about Seth, people talking about him, talking about like his, you know, his personality and his kind of... He had a rise and fall when none of these other bands really have. Yeah. Like, Repulsion is one thing 
Napalm is like this fucking it's, monster that you could yeah, do several documentaries you could, about. You could do a whole documentary on Napalm, and I'm sure they're but I think attempts. like yeah, lacking some like key interviews probably hurt it a little bit too. Yeah, without Mick, Mick's, I think Mick was a he's a Mick's a tough tough one. He's a big one. Get, I mean, somebody that coined the term grindcore. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, that's, but those are that's a couple. Like the guy, but, those are a couple cool documentaries. I mean, we recommend both. You know, yeah, yeah. the Grinds. Definitely I'm being hard it. on it because. I care about the subject yeah, so much. Absolutely, I'm, absolutely. I'm, it's great, that but it's they something I would it. watch again. You yeah, know, like I, it I would, bought it. I paid for sell. it. Supported it. Yeah. Um, anybody that's going to spend that much time doing something about some underground music that they love, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be like my mom. When the first time I showed her the zine that me and Chris did when I was like 17 years old, uh-huh. the first thing she pointed to was a spelling mistake. Uh, <laughs> so you got it. You got to keep going. He's got, yep. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the things, it's great, but look the at things this. we love, we can also be kind of critical of. Of too, course. You know, so speaking of things we love, uh, mayhem, yes. but um, we haven't really talked about Lords of Chaos at all. You and no, I. No, I've never gotten your, your take on it. Yeah, her. we both kind of watched it on our own. So um, I've seen it twice now. Okay. I wanted to see it a second time, but uh, the rental that I had, like, had like a six day rental, and I just never got a chance to sit down and watch it again in that little six day window. Okay. So, well, look, I was. It, it came out. I got like a an email or something that it was available to rent, and I ended up buying it. I watched it at like two o'clock in the afternoon. I think I texted you before when I knew it was coming out. I said, "Hey, my original idea for the Patreon was um, I wanted to actually like rent it together and then like watch it while we were recording." That was like an idea I originally sort of had. Like watch like, it once and then like record. watch it and like talk over like it a little yeah. bit. But we probably would need to watch it once. So I would have seen it. it, yeah, and then watch it again, and then like do commentary. But I didn't know like the logistics of how to like pull it out. But I think it's something we could do down the road. Maybe not with we that. We could do movie. it with the setup we were just screwing around. With yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, that was my original idea. So like, I reached out. This is like you know a month or so ago. I was like, dude, yeah, this, this needs to be our next Patreon. Something with like, because you could feel this like crest, right? Like, yeah, I could feel this energy with like this this kind of breaking point where people sort of went from. Fuck this movie. I want nothing to do with it. That was like this general consensus. Oh, like it's going to be this fucking, you know, d- fabulous disaster. It's going to be, it's, it's so riddled with lies. But you then know, you get, you know, people didn't get signed off on it. Yeah. And things like that. But at the same time, as much as you want to dismiss it, it's like a car crash. Like you kind of want to see what it is, regardless. Like, you know, I don't care if you care about this shit at all. And you say you don't want to see this movie. I think you're being disingenuous. For sure. Yeah. Like it's, you have to acknowledge that there is a mainstream movie, kind of mainstream movie that got made. Vice about made it. Dead. And no, you know, Euronymous. Like, Euronymous and, whole, yeah. and Varg. Like that exists now. Like regardless of anything else, like that movie is now out in the like language of film. Like there yeah. is a movie about mayhem and Burzum and like, Directed by the Pikesons in it, like yeah, it's just the ex drummer of Bathory. Yeah, dra- young, I mean, like how, and, and how much more perfect can you I, get? Yeah, and the fact that there are interviews online where, like, you know, the brother Macaulay Culkin is talking about like how he got into like black metal and like whatever the fuck any of this is, like yeah. that's kind of cool. Like I don't know. Um, and you and I have debunked Kvalt kind of thinking and this sort of like conservative mentality that exists within a lot of black metal and kind of laughed it off. And so I think I've seen a lot of that element where people are like, I haven't honestly seen outside of a little bit of um, just random Facebook people that I'm not even, I don't even know who they are, but I'm friends with, you know, 
um, being mad about it. I haven't really seen any really negative. There were some, but again, I guess I'm paying more attention to that because of the running the the podcast Facebook. I see like okay. a little bit more like very clearly metal oriented sort of things. Um, and I can see like if you really love the stuff and it seems like it's I don't think it it didn't come across to me that they're making fun of anything. No, I felt pretty. pretty... But also you got to think of what the source material is, is, you know, like seven, 16, 17, 18 year old kids, idiot kids. I remember what I was like at that point. Yeah, I wanted to be serious. These yep. are kids that grew up in like well to do, you know, white areas with no crime. Mm hmm. Like they're making their own yeah. mythology up, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, of course, I've got a different, and I'm forty, almost forty five years old. I have a different perspective on this type of behavior. Yeah. Um, and I think it was totally fair. Yeah. Everything in the movie, I thought, was fair. Yeah. Um, at first, the tone was a little jarring with how, like, fucking, like some of the gory shit. I was, I was like, Jesus Christ. The the dead scene is hard to watch. The for- dead scene, just when he's when they're playing that club. I was like, God damn it. Like, that's pretty rough. But I think seeing it twice and like thinking about it, it's like, it, it makes sense because they're like, they're showing the, you know, the big, they're, they're, they're like, um, I guess their representation of evil and all this shit and uh, nihilism is totally different compared to what real fucking horror is. <laughs> and it was a really, it was really smartly done, I think. Yeah. Like showing the, you know, like manufactured evil as a, compared to like later on, like some of the murders and shit. I was like, fuck. Yeah. It was They're like unflinching. Like they were like pushing the envelope and I think they believe their own bullshit. And I think that's, yeah. that's the danger. You know, um, the same thing kind of happened with gangster rap. When you start mm-hmm. to believe your own bullshit and you believe your own mythology, it's like what we were talking about earlier in this episode about like kind of the idea of like organized religion or whatever. Like if you can kind of like sell yourself on your own sort of like bullshit, like it can lead to really dangerous well, shit. It's the same thing with Biggie and Tupac. That's what I mean. The you gangster know? stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's just that. Which it, is about the same time. Isn't yeah. It? it was, uh, you know, a little bit later. Um, I think. But it's kind of like in the air, like mm-hmm. extreme music with extreme, you know, kind of roots. And you look at like society as a whole in the 1990s is about the most peaceful time stretch that we've had in modern like world history, where the end of the Cold War and pre 9-11, where, you know, you had some Kosovo and Bosnia and Rwanda, you had a few like little side skirmishes. But that was so like those were like super isolated. Um, The last time I remember being scared when I was a kid is when the Gulf War started and mm -hmm. my dad sat me down and he's like, was telling me about... He was scared that I was going to be drafted. Really? Yeah. It was if the right war when I was starting. On. If it went on and there yeah, was a draft. Yeah, because in 91, you were still like 16. Yeah. Yeah. But he was worried that, you know, two years away, if this keeps going and gets bigger. Because yeah. my dad was, you know, he was uh, drafted and he was in the National Guard during yeah. Vietnam. And that he was terrified. I was like, I'd never seen my dad scared about anything before. Yeah. It's like, that was a little bit of a like, fuck. Yeah. But really, like, nothing. Like D- Desert Storm is such a... yeah. Shit show. It's like a blip. I know people blip. that served yeah. it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it was like thirty days, and they're like, oh, okay, we won. Cool, go yeah. home. Yeah. Three Kings captures that really well, I think. But, no. uh, but yeah, I, so I think it, it is this weird like era of you know manufactured like dissent or manufactured anger or whatever you want to. call it. And that's why it. I think death metal was such a per. In a way, it's a it's a terribly white, uh, middle upper class thing that could only happen through that. Yeah. Um, because it definitely was, there's not a, 
there's a little contingent in South America that was like slightly poorer, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. And that was more like socially conscious though, too. Yeah. In a weird way. Like Sepultura yeah. was Sepultura, very, that, very even much like, uh, kind of thinking about that stuff. Or it's like the, you know, super blatantly satanic, like uh, Sarcophago and stuff yeah, like that. Sarcophago, but, yep. Um, yep. But yeah, that's like, it's such a, it could only exist in that time. Yeah. And that's why I still kind of find it interesting that they well, had to like manufacture their own as a species, we need to have some type of conflict. Yeah, and if you want, you know, the pe- some people were like argued about Lords of Chaos that it wasn't like realistic enough at times with them, and it played a little bit loose and hard with facts, which any any Hollywood movie is going to do. It's dr- it has to be, otherwise, it's going to be boring. It has to create a sort of narrative, and if you want it a more like sort of philosophical thing, then like un- watch until the light takes you. You know, no. that that gets more into some of the philosophy on. Like you were talking about this aridness that exists in Norwegian culture of like almost like, you know, this sort of perfect democratic social experiment kind of thing that like, you know, kids are almost like too, they don't know how to rebel anymore because there's really nothing wrong to rebel against, you know, so like, well, let's tap into paganism and let's, you know, rebel against nationalism or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's is is really kind of a fascinating kind of philosophy behind all that and i I think it that shows in a couple scenes Mm -hmm. they don't emphasize it a lot but it's there there's that one scene where like varg and um uh, euronymous are sort of talking and euronymous is giving him his like weird fucking philosophy on stuff and like to euronymous it's all showmanship like kind of like it's a put on. There's a Gene Simmons kind of aspect yeah. to it, you know. Like he, you know, he has eye on the prize. We talked about that earlier, and and for w- whatever it's worth, and I'm not taking, the, I'm not using it as a criticism of Euronymous. I know that there are some like people who believe that Euronymous was like a sellout at times. Certainly, that's the aesthetic that Varg and his supporters probably took. You know, yeah. is that Euronymous wasn't true cult, you know, metal or whatever, whatever the fuck it was. But I think. At a certain point, like music is just entertainment. It's art too, and mm-hmm. you can do the art stuff. You know, Dead was doing art, and and you know, thinking of it in more artistic terms, in terms of stagecraft and performance and stuff. He's also a deeply fucking mentally disturbed, guy. really disturbed guy. Yeah, um, and he got worse when he moved, you mm-hmm. know, because he was living in isolation in the cabin and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But there's that scene, and you can see like the wheels turning, and again. That's something you do in a biopic is you you probably make a, a situation that was probably less uh, or it was a lot more kind of vague and just yeah. a casual conversation. It's a dramatization. Yeah, yeah you you're turning it. that conversation into like a tangible moment where something changed. But when Varg kind of heard that like his target was was Christianity and blah, 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 and like we need to wake people up and... Yeah, you know that's our that's who we're fighting against, and I know like Euronymous like flirted with communism, even like as like every a, young dumb kid thinks yeah, communism I is the answer. Communism was like awesome to like learn about. I didn't know shit about it, but I I remember going to like um, paperback book exchange, which was mm-hmm. right next to the record store that Mark and I worked at, and I found this like fucking hardcover communism book, and I thought it was the coolest thing, and it was all like news articles from the Christian science monitor from like Stalin era all the way up or whatever. And I didn't really read all of it, but I flipped through it and just having it was like, I knew it was like a, it was like annoying to some people. Yeah. Like, you know, it was, it was subversive. Like, it was like, yeah, it was just like, it was a little bit that. And so like, I kind That's of just like when we were little kids, we would go to the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The army surplus store and yep. we'd buy like Nazi medals. Because we thought it was like, this is like taboo. Yeah. Saw like Indiana Jones, like, oh man, these are crazy. 
Like yeah. we weren't being, you know, white nationalists. Yeah. We were interesting. We were interested in evil and yes. things that we didn't. We had no. We grew up in such like an idyllic area. We didn't have to worry about that kind of shit. No. So we like had to discover the stuff that really happened. Yep. And yep. nowadays, like ban, like you know, Antifa trying to ban Marduk shows because they talk about the World War II like shit. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with it? Like. Extreme right and extreme left is getting so the, out of hand right now. All the metal sucks stuff is like so kind of out of hand, and I I don't even know how much. Like I think there's a like a fringe part of Antifa that like is interested in that, but I don't even think like Antifa as a whole like that's like a focal point. I think they're not it's even like, organized. It's, it's just like you know splinter groups of yeah, weirdos so everywhere. It's, it's really weird. Like I don't know, but I know like they've started to paint like uh, some bands that like I've recently discovered like um, like Ueda. Mm-hmm. we talked about like they have some like weird association and like even there was a guy that drummed on like death spell omega at one point and he's getting like a lot of heat right now um he was in clandestine blaze and some mm-hmm. other sort of stuff i don't even think he's from france though you know like he was like a dude from i don't know he's polish i, I can't fucking remember but like you know miglia mgla you mm-hmm. know which they're actually pretty awesome i've been kind of getting into them like apparently they're on like the no fly list or whatever so it's like it's this, it's very tough to navigate in this like social media sort of like, you know, uh, it's kind of insane. It is. It's pretty fucking weird because like as much as I don't agree with anything that white nationalists have to say, I think that they still have the right to say that. Sure. Yeah. Like if we start censoring first amendment shit, that's what like this deep I was talking with my uh, wife about this a couple days ago. The like deplatforming stuff, I think, is starting to be a what's that little slip. I don't know if I, you know, like Alex Jones being taken off oh. because he talks about crazy shit. Like, w- then what's the next thing that's going to happen? Yeah. Like, that's so we can't one. even talk about this now because it's like taboo. Like we can't like the um, the senator from Minnesota who's Muslim mm-hmm. who was talking about like um, saying that Israel is like yeah. you know about money. Like it is about money. Yeah. Like and Netan- Israel and Judaism are two completely separate things. Yeah, and Netanyahu is being investigated for corruption right now. Yeah, like you can't say something about that because he's Jewish. Yeah, because like that's fucking stupid. Yeah, exactly. So I did. That's like the I'm very critical is real. of Israel, but I'm not anti-Semitic in the least. No, you know what I mean? exactly. Like, I'm a history teacher. And they, didn't Congress try to pass show. something recently about that? I was like, this is just so it's it's becoming it's both ridiculous. sides kind of swinging at each other, and it it gets really really insane. And and you can see the sort of swirl of that, like in in Lords of Chaos a little bit in, in kind of the, the reaction people have to say like Burzum, for instance, or mm-hmm. like, how do we, how do you compartmentalize like Varg and like what he's done and um, Thorns, you know, we've done, mm-hmm. we've done a show on Thorns and Burzum, you know, yeah. and, um, and we talked about it a little bit. We, we kind of tried to steer clear of, of some of the, the politics of some of that, because it's just frankly something like, A, I don't care and I don't want to care. And I don't really want to give much of a platform to it for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The music's the music. Take it for what it's worth. I don't pay attention. And to at the, the lyrics, time, you know, too, at the time when that stuff came out, it wasn't as involved and as entrenched no, in the lyrics that was, or anything. That it's, was much more like the, his prison years and stuff, yeah. too. So that, yeah. that's like if you know the Beatles, you know, if McCartney came out as he was a Nazi. Now, like what? So now all this other stuff has nothing to do with. Yeah, you've you got to. You've got to have a intellectual like. This is the, this is the tricky there. part, though. Like, so I guess. I guess, and we won't be able to solve this, but I guess the, the, the weirdest issue has become like, what is that sort of like the art versus the artist kind of like line? Because you have, 
you know, you have like a situation like a Michael Jackson or you have a situation like the Inquisition stuff that's going on, you know, and like Roman Polanski, like there's all kinds Woody of Woody Allen, you know, like yeah. I like Woody Allen movies and I like Roman Polanski movies, but I, I have second thoughts about showing Annie Hall like in my film class right now because like, that's I don't know if I should give like that audience, like him an audience. Like if you yeah. want to discover Woody Allen on your own, I, I'm not, I'm going to not, not talk about him. Like I'll certainly talk about him when I get to the seventies cinema and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, like, are they going to ban all Michael Jackson songs off the radio? Well, probably not though. Then maybe there's like a period where the, there's going to be like less songs played for a while, but eventually I'm sure like that stuff will sort of come back. But like, well, here, I mean, here in Michigan, you know, Henry Ford supported the Nazi regime. For sure. Yeah. And what, Walt Disney was friends with Hitler as well. Um, so don't go see those Marvel movies, guys. If you're gonna if you're gonna jump on one thing, jump on all things, or just shut the fuck up. It's, it's real tricky. Yeah, and you can't pick and choose like how you want to do it. I mean, I guess you can because it's like it's your free choice or whatever. But yeah, maybe there's something like okay, politics are politics, and politics are are misguided, and people get dragged into politics sometimes or say things that like they're trying to be offensive or they're just trying to be you know shock value and. Mm-hmm. This gets into Lords of Chaos, right? These guys were trying to one up the sort of shock value, and things got really out of hand very quickly because you had one guy that I think was deeply disturbed, and you know, and or just bought his own bullshit like way too much, you know. I um, think that, I mean, I I, I don't want to, I don't identify with um, the Varg character, but I can see where he's coming from, mm-hmm. um, being like this outsider kid that had to prove himself extra hard. And then you've got, if you don't live up to your hype, then what are you? If you don't yeah, live exactly. up to your word, well, like it made a lot, the narrative in the movie made a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm sure it's not all hundred percent accurate, no. but with how many well, times. Varg won't really give you accurate accounts of anything. Euronymous isn't alive to give his exactly. account. And if you look at just, you know? if you look at the evidence of um, like what was left, he was stabbed in the head with a fucking knife. He was yeah. stabbed like. I don't 23 know. times, 22 times. Um, that is not self-defense. <laughs> that is not self-defense. Yeah. He had no super, he had no wounds on him whatsoever. Yeah. Like yeah. Occam's razor. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like there's, there's a POV that Vargs tries to present that yes. you can accept that if you want, but I, I don't personally. Um, I don't think that Euronymous is trying to kill him. Yeah. I think he was maybe like, which the movie does a pretty good job of mentioning that like it's a, fucking put on like everything else yes he's just talking a big game yeah and varg should have been smart enough to know that and, and varg is doing what like you see you see sort of like um i don't know i was gonna use like fox news as an example like they'll take something that they clearly know is like an off comment that like was meant in sort of a joking way and then they'll sort of like run with it as like something taken out of context. this politician said this and it's like oh my god just like get, you know like get over yourself or whatever but the point i was going to come back to is i guess are there tears to this outrage because like you look at like inquisition or you look at like michael jackson and like to me politics is one thing because lots of people say dumb things and have at certain points believe dumb things but i guess it's when you put something like into action yeah yeah because to me it's like if michael jackson in in all directions point to that you know he was doing have you watched that documentary yes it's uh it's we we started where it's like are we gonna watch we watch the whole fucking thing it's fucking it's it's disturbing and 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 those both of those guys are 
real sympathetic in my yeah and i'm and they, usually have a pretty good bullshit and they've detector, got but nothing they have nothing to gain nothing to gain nothing that one dude was like a he was like a, a, a choreographer like he didn't need money he was fucking famous already yeah so it's it's so i guess if 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 you have an artist like you know you look at gary glitter that guy's been essentially like wiped r off, kelly off the planet well r kelly's in the process <laughs> of being wiped off so like you know, it's tough. Like, where do the, what are the tiers? Like, like, can you separate the art from the politics with like Burzum? Because like, fuck it, like it's politics. It's just he says stupid shit. But then again, he murdered a dude. Okay, yeah. uh, I don't. He didn't murder he, a guy he, for political reasons. He paid for it, and he's out now. So I don't know. He served his time. Should I give that guy money? I don't know. Like I don't really want to give him any more money. I have what I have from Burzum, and I'll probably never buy any other Burzum. Well, the thing is, anything. he can't. Um, he, he can't, can't gain money. He can't from gain it, money right? from yeah. it anyway. So it goes to whatever whoever Some owns fund the, or the licensing, yeah. or something. Um, you know, but it's like if you're doing stuff to like harm children. You know, like now, now, like is that to me that there's like there's like a line there. If you're doing like rape or you're doing like stuff like that, like I just, it's such a tough thing to kind of like navigate. And I we obviously can't won't be able to solve that yeah. problem today. But it's it's like something I've had to consider because I teach about Chuck Berry, and Chuck Berry did a few shady things. You know that are like kind of sketchy and kind of questionable, but. You know, in the era that he did some of those things, they were a little bit more, maybe more socially acceptable. Um, sure. You know, like the Me Too movement has really like adjusted some of our like perspective. You know, like we watched a Charlie Chaplin movie the other day um, mm -hmm. and it was a scene from modern times. And it's like where he's so mechanized from like wrenching things on the assembly line that he sees this woman walking by who has this decoration on her chest that looks like little nuts that he wants to like wrench. And yeah. so he's like feverishly chasing after her. I get the comedy of it. I get what they were trying to say. But in a post Me Too movement, it's become like, it's like a weirdly uncomfortable scene to sort of watch, you know, like. And you're in a unique situation with, with kids who are like, this is like, you know, right, right, there. right there. Yeah. But like, I wonder like, you know, like when I was a kid and I watched Revenge of the Nerds, like I knew that movie was like dumb, but like they actively like go on a panty raid and then actively at the end of that movie, they the dude swaps positions with another dude and essentially does what would be like questionable, like sexual assault by like. Well, as happened in the dirt as well. Yeah. And and so like that was like normal then, I guess. I don't Where's know if it was ever normal. Where's the outrage for the um, Motley Crue fucking What's that? Where's the outrage for the dirt? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it will happen. Okay. You know, I, I don't know. I or, did or people just look at that and they go, it's a fair portrayal of that era. These guys have written about it. No, they're not hiding this. They never hit it because it was written about yeah. on some level. So I guess okay. that's probably like, they've owned it. They've said like, this is what we did. Judge us how you will. And okay. people have judged. I guess that's maybe the difference. Okay. That makes sense. I don't know. But I, I it's just, it's really weird. You have to like kind of, readjust the sun a little bit and kind of like rethink like on, on what those things are. Where everything's got to be put in, in context. Yeah. Like it's, and not, not everything means something. Nope. Um, some of the stuff, like we have this, the outrage culture is, uh, not, and not everything is, you know, is like the me too movement has definitely has positive. Oh, for sure. Aspects. All yeah. these things have that are trying to do something for good, have positive aspects. But any revolutionary thinking, 
and with social media added into it or something like that is yeah. always going to overreach yeah. like the french yeah. revolution did it like everything that's ever achieved anything overreached and then there's like a self-correction sort of period mm-hmm. and we're probably in that self-correction period it would probably be painful yeah there's probably people whose reputations could get dragged through the mud that will come out looking better than like what they were supposed to have looked like i think if we, we put like, overreact it too quickly or, yeah, or something if we put um, everybody in history under the same kind of scrutiny that people are under now with social media everybody's gonna be a fucking monster man. we're in trouble yeah. yeah um i mean there's nobody that's just completely pure of spirit no out there like your fucking dad did something shitty you know he might have called somebody an n-word once oh like Everybody did Speaking stupid my dad, shit. <laughs> my dad is a truck driver. I know he's done things just in the stories he's told me that were like, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Like he's just done things. Yeah. And I just, he was a product of the seventies. Yeah. You so, can't yeah. hold people on everything they fucking do at like, uh, not to make this a, you know, fucking political show. No, but, but like Lords the dude, of Chaos has a lot of politics. True. In it, I but think, I'm thinking you know? like the dude in, um, the uh what the fuck was he in the uh, congressman or whatever that did dressed up in blackface when he was in college yeah okay that's that was stupid that he did that he was in college can he not i mean this is fucking 35 years later can we just maybe point it out and then do does he have to lose his career for something like yeah. that like has he has the arc of his career shown that he believes all that or was this just a stupid immature thing to do yeah and i don't think a lot of a lot of the at least in social media, nobody's thinking of anything like sure. that. Well, I think of like that Superstore episode on like Halloween with cultural appropriation where like everyone's <laughs> Halloween costumes were like culturally appropriating something and yeah. it just became like, they're almost like mocking that, that sort of thing. And, and yeah, there are definitely limits and, and we're sort of entering this overcorrection, but. And also when does it, if that, if you do get like in like Al Franken, yeah, we lost a pretty strong voice yeah. for potentially maybe touching a boob. Yeah, that he apologized for it. Can he? Has, he owned it and took took responsibility for it. The problem is the left attacks their own as hard I, as anybody I else. I know, and the, and the right, right would just like oh, the right will like dodge bullets as long as they can get away with it. Moral majority, but a yeah, lot of yeah. times they'll they'll get away with it. Yeah, it's so the it's, same. It is a, it's a fucking weird thing, but but I guess my my hot take is I did enjoy the movie a lot. I um, do too. I um. I you know I came into it with pretty low expectations. I didn't want to. Um, there were some nostalgic things there. Where like, did you catch the cathedral song? Which part? Uh, it is uh, the strip scene in the basement. Oh, they're playing yeah. something off um, fucking Force of Equilibrium. I did hear that, which yeah, I yeah, thought was yep. funny because that would be the most untrue thing to ever play in the basement of, you know, Helvetta. But yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, exactly. that's, that's um, funny. The Sodom scene was cool. Like, yeah. You know, the like, only thing that threw me off initially is dead's wig. Okay. That's, that was the first thing I wrote in my Who notes. Who was the actor? It was the son of somebody that played uh, dead. Uh, it was um, uh, Val Kilmer. Yeah. Yeah. That, Jack Kilmer, I think. Yeah. He's a great job. He was awesome. I, I thought, think the guy that played um, Varg did a great job. He gets the most criti- criticism, I feel like. Okay. Um, of, from what I've seen and like, you know. And there's criticism from people that, I mean, a lot of this is just nitpicky, but it's like, these are all American actors. It's like, 
Yeah. They want this to be as broad as possible. Sure. That's why they did that. If it was all done in Norwegian, you a global market. No, yeah. that's kind of how things are. So it's, it's like it, it is what it is. It makes sense. It's fine. I can I can get past. I thought it. Rory Culkin did a nice. job. I think he did a good job. I've liked him in a lot of stuff. I've yeah. seen him in um, the fact that they did their own. They actually played some of the stuff. The kid that played Hellhammer is fucking great. Yeah, yeah. That guy he was like right Hellhammer, on. Like, right? Like, just <laughs> like oh, that is that guy is fucking dead on. Yeah, and, and Hellhammer get... comes off like there. He doesn't really come off as anything, but he's he's probably a little bit more. Uh, I don't say controversial, but he's got more skeletons in the closet than. Well, than I watched uh, until Light takes us again mm-hmm. after I watched that, and he says some terrible fucking shit. He in says that some movie. really awful things. He's not. He's not a. I mean, all those guys came from a lot of terrible fucking ideas. They all, yeah. like, I love Emperor, but Faust was an Emperor. Yeah. And I got to deal with that on some level. Like, it pisses me off because I fucking don't want to like Faust because. What and he you, know, did, s- you know, seeing after he served his time, seeing like interviews with him, he seems like he's. Is he reformed? He seems reformed. He seems to think like what he did was not. Yeah. He resents what, you know, what he sure. did. And he seems to be much more humble and kind of taken aback by everything. Yeah. And it's nice to see him playing That's like good. European shows where they're doing like in the night side of the clips and stuff is, yeah, is good to see. But I don't see a lot of those people really saying anything about it. Yeah. Like I Snorri mean, Rook. I, I don't. Cause Fenris kinda, was hinted at in the movie, but he's not really named. He's like in it for a brief. Moment. I don't even know who that, who he's supposed yeah, to be. I, I just know he shows up on like IMDb. Like there's yeah. a character of Fenres. I don't know? know if he comes into the store or maybe he's, he's in the basement be, or something. Yeah, and but, Yeah. And some people had criticism about the the um, like the sexual stuff in it. Oh, some Varg. people said yeah. that uh, you know Euronymous was gay or it was like you I've know heard what? that in the context of the movie, it, it made sense to have that type of very small love triangle, but also just make Euronymous pissed is that. Varg was just banging all these chicks and like it yeah. just kind of it made thematically it made sense to the movie. If if what you're trying to build is a showdown between two characters, then yeah. you're you're setting up the right hurdles to mm-hmm. do that. And yeah. maybe all those hurdles weren't 100 percent accurate, but if the narrative crux of that movie is this showdown at the end, which I think it is, that's yeah. the story of mayhem, yeah. uh, uh, at least up to Day Mysterious, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, and Attila was in it for a minute in the studio, yeah. which I, I thought, which was played by Attila's son. Yeah, I, that was that was pretty cool. Um, you know, aesthetically and and as a movie, um, I, it was nothing out of the ordinary. Um, I thought, like you said, I think the couple scenes where like the camera refuses to shy away was an interesting sort of narrative His suicide choice. and stuff too. I yeah. think there's some people that some directors that probably would have flinched a little bit more. And I give Jonas Eckerlin a little bit of credit that he just... He's mostly... He just did another movie that's on Netflix right now that's mm-hmm. got uh, the dad from Rogue One. My star... Oh, like Stardust that... I love the, that actor. I can't think what the hell his from, name is. from uh, Casino Royale, the villain. Yes. Yeah, I know. Um, dude played Hannibal. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Jonas Eckerlin has a movie with him in it. Okay. That's, I haven't watched it yet. That's on Netflix, but... He definitely he came from you know a music director background, so he's got a certain aesthetic. Did, he did Madonna Vogue. Yes. Uh, wait, no. Did he? He did. Uh, he did a bunch of MTV videos. No, he Dave, did Dave, Fincher, last, Dave uh, Fincher did Madonna Vogue. Um, okay. He did the um, whatever was that last Metallica where they did like a video for every song on the album. Did he do the black metal one? Yeah. Yeah. That was him. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. I, but, you know. but for being like a dramatized version of you know this very specific part in music history. I thought it did a good job. Well, and there were moments where like, because people ask me uh, in the online community and stuff, like, what'd you think of it? And I said, 
I said there were times where like, you know, not everything worked, but then there were times where I had an out-of-body experience and I realized that like I was sitting there watching a Hollywood movie and they were playing Freezing Moon. And I was just like, this is, this for like the arc of my career, if it's not really a career, but the arc of my involvement in the extreme metal world is is definitely a, it's an out-of-body sort of moment where like you realize you're watching this kind of mainstream movie that's you're watching people play freezing moon in a movie like that's like a rite of passage i think for anybody not have any yeah like that that song should be as far away from almost like what you heard shit like that wasn't gummo you know like where have you heard yeah where have you heard that and not only not only just from a soundtrack standpoint but from the very idea that like the scene is about playing freezing moon it's about people recording the song yeah. and it's freezing moon or or whatever and you're just it it takes you out of it in a cool way like i had these moments where like i had to like stop and realize like what i was watching that it wasn't a documentary it wasn't like a a youtube fucking little yeah thing that like somebody put up or whatever but like people pumped money into it people were acting it was so an interesting care and thing to things. um that like knowing the events very well for years, like knowing when it happened, mm-hmm. when it ri- originally happened. And, and you then guys were right the, in that. Yeah. I showed up in a black metal, like literally when all this shit had just like the dust was like settling. Black metal was dangerous then. Yeah. Like I remember that feeling, but then I like in retrospect, like I love that they have those scenes where they're partying and everybody's yeah, thrown up just, on each other and they're, shit. They're just dumb. That's all we did. That yeah. was like, we want to just, you didn't have any worry in the world except for getting drunk Hanging out with your friends and listening to obnoxious music. Yeah. Fucking headbanging to fucking accept or whatever they're doing. Yeah. Balls <laughs> the wall. The one character that to me is the most interesting that doesn't really get explored. And I, I would always be curious. And, I, and I've looked through his book a bit. I'm kind of staring at it as we sort of speak as Metallion. Oh, yeah. mm. Because I feel like if anyone knows what actually really happened in a lot of ways he is going to be maybe the most accurate source. He seems to have been there at the very beginning. He seems to have been there through all those threads. I don't know where his loyalties are. I imagine it's more to Euronymous than it would be to Varg. Um, but see, I don't think that there's any like huge, I think the, the narrative is not like, it's not like it's all fake. I think there's just certain little details that Varg has in his mind about that he was somehow victimized. Mm-hmm. And that's what all the hubbub's about. And yeah. I think Necro Butcher, uh, I haven't, I just got that Death Archives book. Yeah. I haven't uh, read, read it much yet. It. Yep. Um, but I think he's a fairly sobering force in that yep. as well. Cause he was, he fucking he left. He wasn't on Day Mysterious though, because Vard no. plays the bass. No, but he, he left comes... after Dead died and then yeah. he came back. Yep. yep. Yeah. There's that scene in the movie where he's yep. like, I'm fucking yeah. done with this. Yep. And so, like, he, his character, he was like the moral center, which I always thought Necro Butcher was kind of a dummy. Just because of fucking metal headbangers. Right? <laughs> That's a lot of it. It's a huge... I story. say, fuck you! Fuck you! Don't fuck you! Yeah. But when he does that, <laughs> when he comes back and does that extreme metal episode... The cat just woke up when we started screaming, <laughs> fuck you, by the way. When Sam comes back and interviews yeah. him again, he's like... I'm sorry, dude. He's yeah. like, okay, this... Like, everybody's faceted person. They're not this, like, yeah. caricature. Yep. So I'm like, I'm really... And I've watched this thing with Thurston Moore and interviewing um, Necro Butcher as well that was it made me have a much uh, greater appreciation for his contribution to yeah. to things yeah 
but uh it's yeah it's it, it's interesting i'm curious you know what the patrons out there i'm sure a lot of you have sort of seen it and stuff like that so it's a really weird time where <laughs> this is a movie that we could discuss you know what i'm most excited for is the dvd and the special features <laughs> I, I honestly like the as I'm watching it, I'm like, I can't wait for the special features because I don't know what they're gonna be, and I hope they fucking load this thing. With they stuff. will. Um, Aero Video, are you familiar with them at all? Mm-mm. They're a UK based company. I think they've got a US one now, but they reissue like they did a great, um, like a Hellraiser box set that I've got. They do oh, really okay. good, like kind of niche stuff. So yeah, I think they'll probably do. They're a gonna. Job. They're they're the company. They're the distributor behind. that's gonna do it. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. So. But yeah, let us know what you thought. Um, I know we're just speaking to our uh, 35 or so patrons out there. But um, yeah, a couple of uh, interesting sort of hot takes on on a couple of things there. So, But what we're going to end with, uh, just as a sort of goodbye present, is uh, Mark picked out uh, one of his favorite Mayhem tracks. Uh, the live version of Freezing Moon. Live in Leipzig. It's got the, the, my favorite part is just the banter of Dead in the beginning of it, which they kind of, they mirror in the movie Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty accurately. So yeah. For sure. And the dead stuff was really, it was interesting. I, I thought that was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie was like, the you know, I didn't dead. know enough about him. And actually that movie made me go back and listen to more of just the dead stuff. Uh-huh. And I was much, it made the Attila stuff not seem that much crazy, as crazy yeah. as I thought when no, I originally no, I heard it. I agree. Cause he was already kind of like out there and, you know, performance already. And dead came from what band? Was he in Mercy? He's in Morbid. Morbid. Yeah. Yeah. Morbid. yeah. Yep. 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 Merciless was the first thing put out on DSP's uh, yeah. Yeah, label. So, but uh, yeah, so, anyways, uh, patrons, once again, we appreciate all your great support. Um, you know, sorry we were a little bit late on this episode, uh, later than usual, but track season, man. Track season, <laughs> and uh, like literally last weekend, I was up north for the summer camp that I do, and the previous two weekends were all devoted to, um, you know, finishing the housework in my in my house and stuff. Which we're that's actually where recording. I've been with mine as well. But yeah, yeah, we're recording in the the brand new finished basement of uh, you know the Washington Center. The well, north, unfortunately, the Hamtramck Center will never have a finished basement because yeah, of our water table. But you that's know. all right. That's all right. Yeah, I have a walkout basement, so you can <laughs> you can do some stuff here, but. Uh, yeah, so we hope you enjoyed this. Um, we do appreciate all your support. Um, maybe we'll record something when we're at the beer uh, beer fest. Maybe we'll do a couple of like live check ins or something like that. Um, maybe I'll record a few things on my phone. I'll bring my actually. I'm gonna something like that. I'm uh, I'm borrowing from Buddy Allen. He's got a one of those digital recorders that oh, has yeah? the nice like a nice one. Yeah. So I might we might just be able to record that way. That might be cool to do like just SD little little and... bits of commentary throughout the day of like different yeah. bands and it'll sound it'll and, sound better than just cell phone yeah stuff, so. that'd be awesome yeah so that might be the the april this is kind of a late march early april by the time we kind of get this out so we'll maybe do something special mark and i just uh one of the things i was thinking about is the 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 problem mark and i have and it's not a bad problem is that we like to record together yeah, over Skype would be weird with our yeah. dynamic. I don't think um, it would work. So that it's so the logistics of it is we'd like to be you know see each other in person. Um, you know, but you know maybe down the road we'll try a Skype episode for Patreon just to see if we what it sounds like. But I I I don't know. I'd much rather I'd just you know drive the thirty miles. Exactly, it gives us <laughs> an excuse to hang out and, yeah. and talk some shit and stuff like that. So, but anyways, we appreciate all your support and hopefully you enjoyed uh, some of our hot takes and our rambling conversations. Uh, sorry if we got too political for some of you, but that's. <laughs> I'm a history teacher and shit fucking happens sometimes. So uh, so we're going to end with uh, Mayhem, Freezing Moon from Live at Leipzig. So for uh, Requiem Patron episode number three, I'm Jason. And I'm Mark.
When it's cold and when it's dark, the freezing moon can obsess you.